Well, it may have been a while, but we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Dom? Absolutely. It is. Again, I have internet that's been restored. It's not the greatest, <laughs> but I have internet. Let, let's give people a breakdown once we explain. Uh, we are sorry for a three-month delay between episodes. Um, nothing really went wrong. It just a lot of little things just kept knocking recording sessions back and back and back. And, uh, yeah, we have just basically um, kind of... Been unable to record for one reason or another. My favorite being Dom losing his internet connection for about six weeks. It was not fun. I'll tell you that much. Whenever you get a cheap deal on internet, kids, maybe just ask a few questions before you hit buy on that one. Yeah. Because it's fucking savage. Don't, yeah, don't don't take the first offer that comes by you, because I guarantee uh, it's not going to be the greatest. Um, I kind of wish I did some research beforehand and handed it over to the person that got this new connection but uh, yeah vodafone connection works as is but i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> I mean, the connection could be the best in the world but it's ultimately it's going to be tarnished by them taking three months to get a setup i remember you sending me the first text message and hey uh net will be down for a bit won't be able to do a podcast it's just you know we're getting the internet connection they're coming to dig the hole on monday should be done in a week. And I was like, okay, yeah, no worries, we yeah. can we can skip our, our recording, I've got stuff to do anyway, what's the worst going to happen? <laughs> yes. You texted me earlier this week, it's now, we're recording on a Saturday, you text me earlier in the week to say, it's finally here, I think we finally have a stable connection. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, we, we got an email in February, maybe uh, February, late January, saying that... Uh, uh, good news, we'll be here to connect you on the 19th February. Don't know what day that was, quite frankly. It seems like a lifetime ago. It was too long, right? And um, they say, we'll be running to connect you there. Uh, you you should have received your Wi-Fi router, your Wi-Fi booster, uh, your 4G dongle in case your net goes down for extra data. That should all be with you. And it was, to be fair. Vodafone have done their job well, I will say. They have a functioning shipping department. Yeah, they have a functioning shipping department and they've done everything that they said they would. Where the fault lies is fucking open reach, right? Open reach, uh, they sent out the first engineer, who I'm going to call fucking Doogie because he seems a bit Doogie. Right? He came out and he went, oh, I've not got the right tool for that. I'll be back tomorrow. He fucks off. Doesn't come back for a week. He comes back with the right tool, performs a test, which is literally him walking around the house with, I think, some kind of signal locator, but to my eyes, it was just a box that went fucking deep. And he went, no, 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 I can't get a good signal here, I'm going, to need to dig- I'm going to need to connect you, you're not connected. That took another three weeks for him to come out and get that sorted. And he went, aye, you'll need to get dug up and uh, we'll need to connect you. We'll get back to you by the time we'll- when the workers are going to come and dig up the front garden. Alright, cool. Then time just kept on rolling by and he never showed up. <laughs> they eventually, then they got us connected, dug up the front garden, got us connected through the, uh, the BT signal that Vodafone used. And then it was a further two weeks after that. No, sorry. Three weeks after that, before we actually got fucking connected. So there was a lot, there was a lot of downtime between Virgin Media cancelling our uh, broadband with them. And I think we went... Uh, six weeks we had no internet. <laughs> and in between then, I had to finish uni. I had two assignments that I had to finish. One of which was an advocacy assessment. I had to go around and borrow 
uh, a friend friend of the podcast streaming setup. I had to go around and borrow Arg's streaming setup. I'll give you a bit of backstory on this. I've done advocacy assessments before. Advocacy assessments are basically me talking to my lecturer who is acting as the kind of judge or the sheriff in a kind of mock legal thing. Most of the times I do this on a 1080p iPhone with the microphone that you're hearing me on right now, which again, doesn't sound too bad, does it? Yeah, I know you've had notes from a lecturer saying your mic's a bit much, actually, in some cases. Yeah, this, uh, what I had to do my final advocacy assessment on pissed them off more than that, because like I said, uh, I had to borrow Arg's streaming setup, and if you know Argic or you watch any of his streams, production quality is high on his list of priorities. So I did my final advocacy assessment with a 4K camera, a sure radio quality mic, and fucking key lights. First thing my lecturer <laughs> said when she came onto the screen was, oh, you look fantastic. And I went, oh yeah, I'm key lit to shit. I've got a 4K <laughs> camera on. It's like, oh, I mean, you sound great as well. I'm like, it's the microphone. Then she went, eh, where are you? I said, I don't have internet right now. I'm running at a friend's house. They're borrowing his, uh, borrowing his setup. And she said, all right, okay. What does he do? And I said, he's a Twitch streamer. And she immediately just kind of clicked on, all right, that explains everything. Uh. <laughs> then I got sent, uh, we all got sent an email with our results. And uh, the the email said, the email from a lecturer said, they're watching everybody's uh, videos back. I'm so proud of the progress that you've made. And just an aside, you can clearly tell the difference, like like the the difference in audio quality between some of you is starting because it gonna goes normal, normal, normal. Dom's four K overproduced video, normal, normal, normal. <laughs> and yeah, then I had to I had to the had to finish off another piece of work uh, that had to be in for I think it was midnight on a Thursday night. And I still didn't have internet. I was kind of hoping that at some point it would have kicked in again. But yet again, I had to go around uh, Arg's house borrow his internet so Vodafone go fuck yourself you took too damn long but still Arg he did give me a hand during this rather shitty internet this time that and the fact that my kleptomaniac ways of buying all the blu-rays <laughs> finally paid dividends because I've had shit to watch what I was going to ask was obviously you've been disconnected from the internet first of all how does that feel because obviously our lives have now become entwined with the internet did you know it feel what? any better? Or? You know what, right? Because a few people have asked me, uh, namely my, my brother's wife, said, oh, have you felt lost? Have you felt yeah, at an end, at loose ends with yourself? Was, for the first day, I was like, ah, oh, shit, I can't go on Netflix. I can't even watch shit on Netflix. But see, after that, as soon as I've realised I have, you know, I've got an entire blockbuster's worth of Blu-rays in this room, I was like, watch shit on that. Then I looked on uh, my PC hard drive and I was like, okay, I have every single episode of Scrubs, every single episode of Red Dwarf, just watch that. And I still had some games that I could play. That wasn't uh, where my saving grace came from. My saving grace came from was uh, I could still listen to podcasts. I just had to, you know, sponge Wi-Fi, download all my podcasts that I could or all the podcasts that I'd need. And again, when you listen to Critical Role, three podcasts can do you an entire week. <laughs> I downloaded all the podcasts. Uh, I had, I started music. Uh, all the games that were installed on my Xbox, I could still use. I couldn't use the DLC because, as I found out, to use DLC for Xbox, you need to be connected to the internet, despite the fact that you have downloaded it already, which I find a bit weird. <sighs> I love like DLC as the idea of you, you can add a little bit of like an extra twenty percent to your game for a couple quid. Yeah, that's always nice. That little thing you can add on, but the idea that it's always online is kind of a yeah. kick in the dick. That annoyed me because I went to play Resident Evil 2 again because 
I don't know what it is. Uh, everyone has their comfort games. Mine is the Resident Evil series. If I'm if I'm finished like a, a big project or something, I just want to chill out and relax. Shooting zombies is always something I want to do. So I went back to play RE2, and uh, my reward for finishing everything in Resident Evil 2 was uh, getting all the infinite ammo weapons. So I just occasionally go on and do what I call the cheese ball run, where I just absolutely like mince anything that comes in front of me with an infinite ammo minigun or min infinite ammo rocket launcher. So I went to do one of those on the hardcore difficulty, which is the second highest difficulty on that game. And uh, because I didn't have my infinite ammo weapons, I thought, yeah, I'll set it to hardcore. Wait, crap. Where? Oh, oh crap, I'm going to have to do this with a pistol. The regular pistol. <laughs> which scared the living crap out of me. But I did it. That was fun. I had a lot of fun. I read a lot of comic books as well. I read, uh, I suppose, just in time for the Thor Love and Thunder, which comes out, I think, the end of this year, maybe? Maybe earlier than that. I think I read it might the be God Butcher Saga. Oh, yeah, because it's based on that uh, that chunk of the comic books, is it? Um, yeah, it's based... Uh, the, the villain's going to be Gore the God Butcher. Genuinely one of the coolest fucking villains in uh, Marvel history. Uh, he, ha he has a symbiote. Yeah, in fact, he has the God of all symbiotes. Uh, I don't know how they're going to work that into the MCU version, but uh, we could see how they challenge it. Maybe they're going to give him a symbiote, maybe they're going to give him some kind of replacement, or maybe they're just going to make him that stupidly strong that he doesn't need the symbiote. Yeah, or it's called a parasite or something like that. Say that again? Maybe just call it the God of Parasites. Could be, yeah. Because then, I think they call it the Necrosword, the comics, and it is the symbiote of the God of all symbiotes called Null, a badass motherfucker. That's another book that I bought that I need to read, the King in Black event, which is basically where symbiotes take over planet Earth. Null, the god of all symbiotes, basically just tries to cover the entire galaxy in symbiotes. Pretty cool. So, if it, wait, is, is the symbiote the sword? Yeah, the symbiote is the sword. Alright, then they just won't mention that the sword is the symbiote. But wait, yeah. he's this weird magical sword, and then, depending how things go with Sony, they can then say it is a symbiote or it isn't. Yeah. Because that's kind of, mean, the, kind of the way they've been handling uh, Magneto and the mutant children that are around, where they're just like, oh, they're just kids with weird powers, not like yeah. any, anybody's kid or anything. I think they just don't want to introduce mutants as yet, despite the fact that Marvel now own Fox, which is, not Marvel, Disney now own Fox, so they can... Oh yeah, true, that's with... Um... Oh yeah, yeah, I suppose they could just completely wrap that all up. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I suppose the, the symbiote is part of Sony and them continuing to make the uh, Tom Hardy Venom movies. Yeah, which is the only... I guarantee it's the only one of the planned villain movies that Sony are making that, are, that is going to work. That's purely <laughs> because they now have the ability to cross Venom into the mainline MCU because of how Spider-Man No Way Home ends, but you lose. Yeah. They, they've left that there as a little kind of like... It's not even like an open door, it's just kind of like a little crack in the door. Say, so, hey, if, if this all works out, we can have our toys and play with them too. Otherwise, yeah. go fuck yourself. You yeah. you asked me if I'd seen Morbius, then the first thing that crossed my mind was, mate, nobody saw Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw, I uh, can't remember who, uh, it was uh, something that I follow on Twitter, a guy called Mark Bernardin. He said, uh, I would go and see Morbius, but I don't want to be the only person in the movie theatre. <laughs> have you been the only person in the movie theatre before? Uh, when I went to see the first Captain America, I was one of four people in the, in the cinema, two of which came with me to the cinema. There was just one guy sitting on his own. Ooh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I had uh, one part, I think it was me and two. Hmm. 
there was absolutely nobody here. I can't remember what yeah. film I was going to see, but it was like because I I have like a Tuesday Wednesday off quite often. I often just like go to the movies in like the middle of a Tuesday afternoon. The best. There's nobody there. Nobody like making noise. Nobody talking over the film. You can just sit back, relax, and just kind of enjoy. No, I tell you, I I have been the only person in a cinema. That's because it, I I did go to the cinema with a group of people. One of the people that I went with was severely hungover, and the five of us formed the entire people, all of the people in the cinema. <laughs> uh, one, like three of them were hungover. One of them was the driver, and then there was myself. The driver was the girlfriend of one of the hungover guys, and then the other two just seen the hungover guy retching, and they decided, "Oh crap, I'm a blow chunks as well." So all three of them bugged out, and they were gone for the majority of this film. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't a Marvel film. It was one of those. I uh, Dark Shadows is what I went to go and see. That horrible, horrible uh, Johnny Depp vampire film. I was trying to remember what that was, and yeah, uh, I do remember Johnny Depp. I don't remember anything about the vampire. I don't think I've seen that movie, but I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, it, it, it's fucking awful. It's really, really bad film. Oh, I just that? remember sitting there in the cinema going, I "Wonder if they're alright." Should I maybe go and check on them? Then I text the the driver, and she just texts me back going. We'll be a while. Uh, if the film finishes and we're not back, just meet us at McDonald's. <laughs> and the film finished. Uh, I walked out the, you know, at the end of the, the end of a film where the uh, the cinema attendants come in to clean and like, guide you out, switch the lights on, shit like that. The the girl walked into the 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 cinema that I was sitting in and just kind of went, "You just yourself, I, <laughs> I just me." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kind of walked. <laughs> just kind of walked out. But over at McDonald's, and I seen three of the sorriest looking individuals I've ever seen. And I was like, I mean, I bet you feel fine. I just had to sit through that nonsense on my own. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I just witnessed? Yeah, much worse than throwing up in a toilet, okay? <laughs> yeah, I wish I was hungover. But yeah, there's something about like a really bad movie. That, like real, Watching it with just, like, two or three other people are like, do we want to just kick off and just start like criticising the film like in the cinema, or, or are we going to finish this thing by ourselves? Oh, every single... Wait, I will say this right now and it would probably annihilate any nerd cred or fantasy cred that I've had. I don't like the Harry Potter films, right? I physically just can't sit through them without doing random shit. Like, if they're on TV at home and we're watching it over Christmas or something like that, I'll sit on my phone or I'll go get the Switch or something like that and I'll play that or what, do stuff on my phone through the film. But I've been to see three of the Harry Potter films in the cinema. One was for a school trip, the other one, in fact two of them were for a school trip and one of them was for somebody's birthday. I was so bored during the final Harry Potter film. Uh, me and the person next to me just started making, like, absolutely tearing into this film, like, doing mystery science theatre. Absolutely riffing on this film because I was so fucking bored. Like, saying that uh, Voldemort was just off his chops on ketamine or something like that. <laughs> it, it's just, that's the, he's not actually a wizard, he just thinks he can do other shit. He's just really high all the time. <laughs> That's where his nose went, he burnt it off. <laughs> I, uh, I I guarantee you... All the cocaine you, just made it dissolve. Every time you do something like that, you're sat next to the biggest Harry Potter fan. It's like, will you shut up, wait, I'm trying to work the film. <laughs> I, I was, no, I was sat uh, in front... I'm sorry, I was sat behind the biggest Harry Potter fan of all time. And him and his his friend, or his sister, his girlfriend, I don't know, turned around and went, excuse me, some of us have been waiting... A very long time for this film, and we would appreciate your silence. And without blinking an eye, the person sitting next to me just turned around and went. 
<laughs> that noise, by the way, is typically associated with someone lifting the middle finger right the way up. Um, if you're not from Scotland, by the way. But now, if you've watched any Edgar Wright film, it's associated with the words jog on. <laughs> I, uh, I think I've been in films <laughs> that I've read. They've moved up to the back of the cinema because they don't want to sit next to us. <laughs> oh, I, I, I sometimes hate going to the cinema, but at the same time, you see something really good and it just it fits it so well. Um, like being in the cinema for big moments. We've had two recently. I don't know if you want to just jump straight to talking about a couple of films. I mean, yeah, let's go for it. Spoiler warning um, for Spider Man No Way Home and The Batman. I mean, I guess technically Jackass Forever, but I don't think that's really something you can spoil. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I've heard one spoiler about uh, Jackass Forever, and that's that Johnny Knoxville doesn't really do much in this one. Um, Understandably. Yeah, I mean, there, there's the legacy characters. Um, let's just start with Jackass Forever. Um, yeah, it's just a short little thing. Like I just, as someone who's been a fan of Jackass for a while, um, I remember seeing all the movies, uh, most of the TV shows. Some of the episodes have kind of disappeared and reappeared, and it's hard to get your hands on in like terms of like a physical copy. For some reason, yeah. I can never seem to find it for a reasonable price. It's probably because of the whole Bam Margera thing, because that's been bubbling over for years now. He's, I don't think he's legally allowed any involvement with the Jackass crew. So yeah. I don't think there's going to be a, a big anniversary bundle Blu-ray for the Jackass movie. Well, even just the fact that it was uh, produced by MTV. I mean, MTV are not exactly known for putting out DVDs. Yeah, true. And but... if they do, it's that weird Spider-Man series that no one really watched. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, um, yeah. The, but the, the Jackass Forever film... Um, it is exactly what you think it is. It is the jackass guys are getting older, but still kind of want to do one last set of stunts. And it's a good mix of the old crew who don't do that much. I'd say uh, Steve goes in for it the most because you know he's Steve. And yeah, yeah, Knoxville doesn't do that much. Although he, um, th- I think the one thing Knoxville does is set up the rest of the film perfectly. He does uh the bull flip again. Which is where he is in a pen, a bull comes running at him, and the bull flips him. And it is a direct comparison of, here's Johnny getting flipped at 30, here's him getting flipped at 50. 30, he gets up and walks away. 50, they have to stretch him out and put him on a, an ambulance. Can I'm like, okay, this is the... like. I don't want to say it's like they're setting the stakes of the film for all the older guys, but it is a reminder that, hey, uh, we all know what's going to happen here, or somebody's going to get seriously fucking hurt. But uh, yeah, the new cast that they bring in to help kind of spice things up a bit are quite good. Um, there are a lot of people in there that are like, um, like people I just don't know. But like, as you like watch them go through the film, you realize that you know if they had been around with the original Jackass crew, they would have been they would have made the cut anyway. It just so happens that they're now like a generation or even a generation and a half removed from the original yeah. cast and crew. Uh, on the I mean, the only one I know is uh, Eric Andre. Genuinely, he's the only. Uh new cast member that I know of. Yeah, he came in a lot more towards the end. Yeah. Um, and he was he was good. Um, I think I originally started as being like just kind of there for a couple bits. And he was like, they're just like hanging around so much. He's like, ah, just get him in the film. <laughs> Give him a credit. Fuck it. He's Eric Andre. He's funny. And then, uh, yeah, Bam or Jay, you talked about him. I watched a video about like the kind of how Bam's life has been going over the last couple of years. The YouTube video just breaking down like the list of here's the things we know. And uh, Bam's constant, you know, ranting and raving on Instagram, which is heartbreaking to see, because it's, it's like, it, it's as if you had a diary that you wrote down all the, the worst feelings of your life in, and then someone found that and started reading it out online. And then it turns out the person reading it online was you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Kind of hard to... I mean, it's one of the things that, like, when you're looking at how toxic social media can be, that's one that's, like, a case I'd highlight in favour of maybe just taking it away from people who need a bit of time and space. Um, but, yeah, Bam was kicked off of the production. Um, he was failing sobriety checks. And was basically... Part of his contract was, you have to stay sober for this film. And apparently took, uh... Let's see... Like an Advil? Uh, like... Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Painkillers. Some kind of painkiller went to rehab, and while he was there, they would say, hey, you, you're not doing the movie anymore. You're out. Yeah. And they've edited around him. I only saw him in one bit. Uh, there's a marching band bit where he's one of the people in the band. But other than that, he's just cut out of the movie. Which is uh, strange. It's it is a shame, but uh, if you're... One of the reasons you're in a film is that you have to subject yourself to monthly or weekly, whatever it is, drug tests to make sure that you're staying on the wagon. He was actually doing uh, three sobriety checks because they're also worried that, that... That seems a bit invasive. But... Well, they're worried about, obviously, he comes in, he's fine, he's sober, and then at some point he sneaks liquor or drugs, whatever. And then all of a sudden, he's a danger to everyone else on set. And you're like, hmm, I, I get that, and it makes sense from like the, the production side of things, but... Yeah, from I mean that was part of one of the things he highlighted was, um, the fact that st- or he like an Instagram rant now a breakup or like a kind of meltdown, that he filmed himself live just going through like all of his emotions as to what was going wrong with the set and why he hated being there, and they were talking about the fact that hey Steve doesn't have to do this, why Steve like he's being sober but he isn't getting checked three times a day it's like no because Steve has been committed and has been sober for twelve years. And it's now, yeah. I, I don't know if you listen to Steve O's podcast, but it's a core part of who he is now. Yeah. And if you listen... Where I think he even does, he himself is a sponsor for a, I think he is a sponsor for a certain sort of rehab. Yeah, I mean, he, he's in there and if you listen to his podcast, it's like part of his personality. It's the, the thing that drives him to change and be better is the pride he takes in his sobriety. And like it's, when you hear him talk about it, he's so proud of what he's done. And you should be. I mean, when you hear about what Steve was up to, like, how are you still alive? Like, beyond the jackass stunts to the drugs, what the fuck? You see some of this, the shit that he did to get himself, or to get high, it's just, you shouldn't even be alive. Like, spraying, uh, <laughs> like, adhesive glue into a sock and huffing that. Dude, <laughs> you should be in a grave by now. But, yeah, it's... The one thing I, um... The, the, the joke I wrote down was, it's the most wholesome movie where dudes make dinosaurs out of the genitals that we see this year, and it is yeah, honestly. I've been told that I've been told that there's a lot of a, uh, a lot of cock and balls. Like people just hang brain a lot. <laughs> I think people are forgetting how much people's dicks are out in the original movies, and but there is something about, it, especially because one of the things I wanted to see this is I've never managed to catch a jackass film in the cinema. Yeah, we were too young That's for the last one. Have we been too young? We might have been. Hold on, let me find it when Jackass 3... If you want to keep vamping talking about Jackass, I'll Google when Jackass 3 came out. But I th- but what did he say it was in high school? Like, the amount of nudity in a, in a Jackass film is pretty much random. It's, there's no set limit. Um, they obviously have to get certain things through the censors. And they actually have talked a lot about what it takes to get something through the censors. They've said that they deliberately film a lot worse stuff just to make a... Um, so they can send they can send out like just a vile piece of like media, say that like okay we're gonna give them like five fake stunts that we put in there that are deliberately vile and offensive. We take away those five as a concession to the censors, 
but it means that we keep in the three ones that are kind of fucked up, but really funny that we want to leave in the film. Did you find that a really stick? Jackass 3 came out in 2010, so we would have just left high school. Or we would have been out of high school by about a year. Six months, at the least. Oh, shit, I could have seen that. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, we could have went. In fact, I couldn't have. Yeah. I could have snuck you in. <laughs> this is my, my, my also 18-year-old friend, sir. <laughs> Don't check our ID cards, please. <laughs> Dude, my voice broke when I was about 14. I've had this, the voice that you're hearing right now, I've had this for years. Here's the thing is, I think my voice broke twice. I think there's some people that don't quite get it. They get like a little change, and then like later on in life, you get a, a bit more uh, gravitas to the voice. I don't know if it's just a wear and tear thing or if it's actually the voice. Like I don't think the balls drop again, but you know, sometimes people's voices change in their mid twenties. But yeah, I, I, there's something about seeing <laughs> seeing a guy's dick on a giant screen is just hilarious, and it it cannot like being there in a room. Uh, with a crowd of jackass fans, and you're all laughing your ass off at someone swinging dick when the dick itself is like three feet long because it's on a giant screen. Absolutely hysterical. The uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make you remember that uh, probably one of the worst scenes, uh, worst for all the guys in the room. Uh, Chris Pontius sandwiches his dick between two boards and basically oh, kind of screws them flat. I go, ah. You're looking down going, I didn't realise it could do that and I never want to know. (laughs) I I wish I never knew the power we contain. (laughs) A weapon to surpass Metal Gear. (laughs) Not for me, the worst part was that fucking spider. And the, like, those two guys with helmets on. Yeah. That are connected by a tube. Somebody puts a tarantula or something in the top. My first reaction to that during the trailer was just, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Fucked up. The the I guy. It's Danger Aaron on one side, and a guy called Dark yep. Shark on the other side. Dark Shark is the dad of one of the new guys, and again, mm. they just kind of had him on set one day, and they just kind of filmed a bunch of stuff for them, and it's the funniest parts of the film. <laughs> they just find some guy's dad who just happens to be hilarious. He almost knocks out like three people during that bit, because he's so fucking angry and terrified because he hates spiders. And he's so freaky, he's freaking out so much that he has, like, one of them by the arm and he has, like, another one by the scruff of the neck and he's squeezing on both of them at the same time and passes out. He's that freaked out. Like, the adrenaline is pumping so much, he just passes out. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this dude applied all of the dad trend to two people at the same time and one. Really, uh, he's funny. <laughs> There's a lot of good bits and it's, it's one of those things where it feels like, um... If you had a YouTube channel and just had a bunch of mates and you just had an unlimited budget and you would just go around following whatever the fuck you wanted, that's what yeah. Jackass has always felt like. Yeah, I mean, Jackass was kind of the start of the whole prank thing. Yeah. They've done it without, you know, taking it too far. It's like, oh, I kidnapped my brother's wife and now I'm going to sell her to the Saudis. <laughs> no no offence to the, I know we're big in Saudi Arabia, so. Yeah. Sorry to our one viewer in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it's that one prince guy who doesn't murder people totally, we promise. Um, yeah. the, the, um, but one thing is that I've listened to the guys from Jackass talk about, like, okay, how do you feel about the, the prank culture situation on uh, YouTube and stuff like that, and say, we think it's wrong, because for us, the pranks are always on cast members. They're always on, like, the crew. There's maybe a yeah. little bit of times when we're fucking with the public a little bit, but it's not much. And it's not the key focus of the channel or the key focus of the film or whatever we're making. 
it's always just a thing that, okay, we need some genuine public reactions so that we can get some, like, you know, it, it seems like a bit more real than just we're always yeah. fucking with each other all the time. But if you watch the, the films and the, the shows, the, the philosophy comes from the idea that we can fuck with each other as much as we want. And they do. And at least to mental breakdowns. But it's funny. Yeah, I mean, at least if you're messing with guy, like, guys that are going to you know, flip it back on you, that's fair. Yeah. If you're talking to just Joe Public, he's just like, oh, dude, I shot your dog. I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm surprised no one's been knocked out filming a jackass film like by a member of the public. <laughs> yeah. Nobody just stepped up and cracked anyone in the face. But it's it's good. I recommend it. Uh, when it comes out on DVD or whatever, Blu-ray, I think, I can't remember who gets it for streaming. They were saying that there was something, I think it's Paramount Pictures get the streaming for this one, so nobody's going to see it in the UK. Yeah. Um, but there's apparently a forever, like, there's like one, one, two, and three point fives. I think there's a point five film for this. I think the one, two, or at least three point five was up on Netflix. I haven't checked Netflix in a while. I mean, earlier last year, I want to say, I rewatched uh, 1, 2, 3, and the 2.5 and 3.5s all on Netflix. So that's what. Watch Jackass 3. I kind of forgot how good a film that was. Like, <laughs> although, the, to this day, I still can't watch the. It's the Sweatsuit Cocktail. Yeah, and that it, one gets a lot of people. <laughs> I'm a horrible person. I find all that shit funny. <laughs> Never want to be within yeah. 100 miles of it happening, but at the same time, watching it through a lens, hilarious. Yeah, I can't watch it, man. It genuinely makes me <laughs> rich. There was another one that I always need to skip past as well. Uh, The Train in the Mountain. Train in the Mountain? Yep. Uh, it's a little toy train set going around what looks like a hill. Yeah, and the, the guy, like, projectile shits into the... Air. I didn't want to spoil it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, again, that one's not... I get it's bad, but it's not that bad. <laughs> I, no, I don't know. I think it might just be the sweatsuit cocktail. <laughs> Guys, bad news. Get... That's the end of the podcast. I'm just going to go watch Jackass again. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was always the thing about Jackass. Is no matter how old I get, I still get those random things. Like, you can, I'm going to go and Google the the highlight scene where Knoxville gets beamed in the stomach with a highlight ball. Oh, or, yeah. uh, I'm going to go watch like the river jump or something like that. I always just random Jackass stunts uh, flash into my head and I'll go, you know what, I'm going to go on YouTube that or I'm going to go and find out or I'm going to go and watch one of the films or something. Yeah, there's a lot of good compilations. the fact that we grew up with that shit. I, I'm not going to lie, I think it's also a guy thing. Like, it really is a guy thing. When you're like, hey, you want to watch this disgusting, gross, violent clip? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to watch uh, the, the one where Steve-O gets shot in a port of shit and then flung into the air? <laughs> Don't worry, seriously enjoy shutting down the podcast right now. <laughs> you're just you're tempting me too much here. It's, it's really hard to be. I mean, you'll have something to do when the podcast finishes. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so to save ourselves from uh, like being horribly distracted, let's talk Spider-Man No Way Home. Where unfortunately, yeah, it, no one shot out of a poo cannon. No, no one shot out of a poo cannon, but we do have some shitty, shitty treatment of a film by two actors. Uh, I found out recently that uh, the guy that plays Sandman. And the guy that plays the lizard aren't in the film. Like, the original actors for those guys aren't in the film at all. Huh. I mean, I suppose they're all CG, so you could quite possibly just take the original render files and just retexture them a little bit and go for it. Yeah, uh, every time they appear, it is old footage just manipulated. Like the part where uh, they cure the lizard, it's just the original scene from The Amazing Spider Man 1 just redone. Huh. The voices are sound alike. 
filtered through that weird thing that they used to make Luke Skywalker something like Luke Skywalker in uh, The Mandalorian. That? And uh, the guy that plays Sandman, the same thing is with him. All of his footage is just re-edited and touched up footage of him from Spider-Man 3, which I thought was kind of shitty. Like, at least asked him to come back. But apparently, they approached him several times asking him to come back. They just kept saying, no, nah, we don't want anything to do with it. So they went, okay, you're going to be in the film. But uh, can we get your, you're uh, not going to be in the film. Yeah, can we get your light this signed off? Is that okay? Can we get that? And then you guys can just take a paycheck. Oh, imagine... What here's the thing is, this is a great fucking movie. It is yeah. the type of film you can only make once in a generation because if you think about it, it has been 20 years since Spider-Man's, like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man thing, kicked off. And that means you get to spend yeah. 20 years making multiple different versions of the same character to have it all interweave and combine together into this yeah. one film. And it is really, really impressive. It all pulls off the way they... They actually managed to nail it. But imagine being the guy who turns down the role in that film because the last yeah. one was kind of shit. Yeah, imagine being... Yeah, exactly. As you, you just said, imagine being the guy that was so disillusioned with how his version of the film ended. He was like, you know what? I'm not going to come back, even for this one. And then as you see, like, Jamie Foxx, Alfred Molina, Willem Dafoe, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield just walking by going, hey, what, what are those guys doing? Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm, I don't want to be part of this. Yeah, I'm gonna sit this one out. I don't think I don't think this film's up to my standards. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, we say they're bad. I don't think I've seen either of those guys in any films since then, so they might genuinely be career killers. And if they've got a bit of hesitancy about it after it killing their careers, I can kind of see where they're coming from. But I would at I least have. I don't know who played Sandman, but I know for a fact Reese fans is still he's doing pretty well. He was in a uh, the latest Kingsman. I know for a fact he's still he's still acting. He's doing stuff. He's still employable. Yeah, he's still employable. He was in a. He played Rasputin in a, the latest uh, Kingsman sequel called The Kingsman. That was literally the last film that he was in. Oh. Uh, yeah, he's been in, he's been in a shit ton since The Amazing Spider Man. If anything, from The Amazing Spider Man, he's worked just as steadily. He's done alright, I suppose. Yeah. The other guy, uh, he ain't doing too well. <laughs> Jack Lee Evans has not done well. Um, yeah, Thomas Hayden Church. <laughs> I uh, let's see what let's see what this thing what this guy's done. Oh dear! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> from it? no way from Spider Man Three, he's actually done fairly well, and he's got a film coming up soon. He, he got a credit for uh, playing Sandman. Yeah, yeah. I he's not done too bad, but. If he's done with the whole supervillain thing, he only really did it because of you know how it landed the first thing. That's fair enough. But but the I, I get what you mean. though. imagine seeing this the MCU as it stands, that bigger franchise. He'd he'd go back just for a taste of that kind of money. Maybe they're not hurting for the money. Maybe it's for the love of the game, which I mean I respect. But at the same time, okay, dude, yeah, dumb mistake. I <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about the film just around the casting side of things. But the the actual film itself, um, I thought the Interwining, intertwining of like Spider-Man as like Spider-Man needs to fix or Peter Parker needs to fix his friend's issues uh, with getting into college due to their involvement with you know Spider-Man and it being revealed that Spider-Man may or may not be uh, like highly regarded in this universe because um, you know uh, Mysterio kind of ruins his uh, public appearance at the end of the last film having that tied together with you know Spider-Man trying to fix the villains at the same time. I was like, okay, that's a nice little uh, pairing up of things. And it all stems from him being P- 
Peter Parker or being Spider-Man is that he is essentially a very good person trying to do right by everyone around him, you know, friend or foe. Yeah. I thought it was a very good way of tying it all together. Because mm. the idea that you have, I mean, say, like, you've spent the last 20 years making these films, you can cut out 90% of the bullshit of setting up a film, a superhero film, of, like, explaining why the villains are the villains, why they're not bad guys, or why they are the really bad guys, while the friends are, are involved, they're all involved in that person's life. You can cut through all of that bullshit and just get to, okay, here's the characters, you all know who they are, and then we throw them at the wall and see what happens. You get more yeah. kind of playtime, as it were. Yeah, definitely. I think when you've got established characters such as these that have already had their spotlight, because Doc Ock had his Spider-Man 2, Green Goblin had Spider-Man 1, etc., etc., you can just kind of throw them in here. The audience more often than not knows who they are, and it kind of gives you more chance to... Right, we don't need to do introductions. We can just literally either start them fighting or we can start Peter just kind of going, right, I can fix this. Like you said, it gives them a bit more chance to play with their toys. And obviously they went into this film knowing it as well. I mean, at one point, uh, Harry Osborne is quoting memes about being Harry Osborne. <laughs> you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. I'm like, oh my God, did you actually just say that out loud? And all of it's just tongue-in-cheek enough to work. Yeah, I have to correct you. It's uh, Norman Osborne, not Harry Osborne. Oh yeah, because it's Norman Osborne. Harry's the... <laughs> Harry's the shit Harry's, son of uh, all time. Uh, <laughs> Harry's uh, James Franco that didn't come back for this film. <laughs> he was not under the set. <laughs> We're not letting you near Zendaya. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I reckon just... Tom Holland would have kicked fuck at him if he went near Zendaya. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot they were a thing. Uh, somehow, everyone on Twitter was like, oh my god, we, the, the perfect Hollywood power couple. And I'm like, this is just Brad and Angelina 40 years later. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, there's people out there that's just like they're only together because it's profitable. Yeah, <laughs> the Marvel are making money off it. What a what a twist! Well, what Marvel did we... could make money out of Mar- Marvel could find a way to make money off of oxygen, and everyone would everyone kind of go, yeah, I knew they would do that. <laughs> the second Disney can figure out how to charge you for water, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, but the, the whole film. Uh, is very well like put together and it is just a long love letter to Spider-Man as a character. Oh yeah. And uh, I'll just I'll talk about my favourite part in the film just because it kind of ties into what you're saying. It is like a massive love letter to the character Spider-Man and all the kind of orbiting characters. It happens within the first 10-15 minutes of the film but they reintroduce one of my maybe my favourite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah, they reintroduce him and it's the same actor from the Netflix shows and I'm like, okay, that's good. You're reintroducing A, a classic character that works with Spider-Man in many runs uh, and you're, re- you're bringing back the actor that crushed it for three seasons on Netflix with this character. So you're doing, you're doing well here and it shows that you're invested in Spider-Man enough that you're going to tie it to other, you know, non- you're going to tie to the stuff that Sony doesn't own mm-hmm. because you're so convinced that what you have is going to work. And I think that shows that you know Marvel maybe want to play ball on this a little bit. And I would say that the cheaper, more headline-grabbing version of that would be to get Ben Affleck back to well, be Daredevil. Daredevil. Yeah, because that would no, be the kind of... No, no, no. no that's like I'm saying. The cheap move would be, look at who we got to come back for the new Spider-Man film. You won't believe this. Surprise cameo. You know That's the cheap headline clickbait version. Whereas they say, what's the current MCU universe version of uh, Daredevil. Yeah. And they bring that in to, as a little kind of nod to the fans who've followed. Again, like if we're following 
20 years of Spider-Man, who's also following the rest of the MCU. What do they get yeah. out of it? And for me, that was probably... They could have ended the film there, right? Uh, I went to see it with my brother and a couple of friends, and I... Visual, I fist bumped him. Fuck yes, right? They're bringing Daredevil back, and I was very happy. And then I remembered that Daredevil's a lawyer, and they're bringing out She-Hulk. Like, fucking Daredevil's going to show up in She-Hulk as well. This has just confirmed it for me. They could have ended the film there for me. But they, they kept going. They kept bringing you shit that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Or shit that's been rumoured and like, oh, Jamie Foxx is back as Electro, he's back as this, they're back as that. And they, they kind of just said, oh, that did happen. And you can, like you said, it kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of thanks you for your, your fandom. Like, oh, you, you like this? Oh, here you go, he's back. Yeah. I, I said, they, obviously, we're talking about like, how much they make uh, out of the recurring characters or just returning characters. Getting to do that kind of Avengers group dynamic joke, like that kind of thing of like, if you have five or six villains in a room who all know Spider-Man, but different versions of Spider-Man, and are also mostly science-based, what do they make out of Spider-Man using a magical cube to catch them all? Yeah. They're, they're all it does what? It, through an alternate dimension, how do you know that exists and you have, could just, with a wristband? What the fuck? <laughs> just rooms with the scientists being like, I don't know how you did that to me, but could you fucking stop it? And um, like just having to getting them all in the room together and just having the kind of group dynamic play it with the characters is just a lot of fun. And it's yeah. like, huh, you managed to tap into the Avengers uh, energy of just kind of group jokes without actually doing all those films, but you kind of technically did through like three or four different runs. It's like seriously impressive. And having, like you said, having shown, that, shown the audience the villains knew each other even before, their introduction to Spider-Man and their connection to Spider-Man just kind of makes them hate Spider-Man all the more. It's like you've been working against people like us this entire time. Mm. Pretty cool. I, I'd say the uh, probably my favourite one was uh, if, I, if you talk favourite moments, it was uh, not even a big I don't I just think I've seen the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man films all the way through, but him popping through the portal and just having an argument with the two people that are uh, with uh, Ned and MJ. Then MJ, like them, just having like a little bicker between each other. You're like, okay, the Spider Man from the other universe is like Spider Man is a witty character, but they're gonna do the kind of Marvel style banter as well. Like we're yeah. we're all writing the same thing together. We're not fucking around and trying to make this Spider Man different because they're essentially the same person in multiple yeah. universes. Like Spider Man is a constant, which is a thing that came up in the animated show when we were kids. Is yeah. that each universe has a Spider Man? It's the Spider Verse. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, and having just the, the scenes with the Spider-Man, like, I think a lot of people went to the, the chemistry lab scene. Mm-hmm. That's that's just great. That's just, like, absolute fan service, and it's all dialogue. It's all just back and forth. So, like, huh, so you, you make your own web? How, how does that work? Was it, like, the explanations of the back and forth? And uh, the scenes on the tower where there's just, like, banter between two, all the three Spider-Men. Yeah. And just the, the jokes of, like, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, current Peter Parker explaining, oh, I was in the Avengers. They'll be like, what is that? What what's that mean? That means nothing to us. Is that a band? You in a band? <laughs> you in a band? <laughs> but just silly things like that. It's like, okay, this is like we know what we're doing here. We're just taking the piss, kind of. Let's just have yeah. as much fun as we can. And and that kind of, it's not a Spider-Man film that takes itself too seriously all the time. There are certain parts where it does take itself very seriously, like the ending, and the whole. Uh, Peter going to see Doctor Strange thing, that does take itself quite seriously, but even in some of the conversations with the villains, it's like particularly with Doc Ock, he kind of said, like, that's just two actors having fun. Yeah. 
there's no there's no like serious edge to this at all. Well, I think what works there is are, none of them are his villains, are they? Uh, no, they're all uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's villains. Yeah, so it's, it's just people like, yeah, we know you're a problem, but at the same time, you're not really my problem. There's no personal beef here. Like, we have a weird situation yeah. to work out. Why not just kind of fuck around with it? Yeah, like, Spider-Man killed you, but I'm not that Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing a Spider-Man jacket, but I'm not that Spider-Man, so let's just not get things confused. Yeah. Um, also, I think we talked about this in text, but I like that um, the oldest Peter Parker has a back issue. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. It's not, a, like, it's not like a thing. It's just, well, it's a thing, but it's not a real thing. I just have a kind of back, you know. And it, like as a guy who's there, like a little bit older, you're like, yeah, that does uh, suddenly appear. But then I thought it was, it was like a joke about him being the oldest. But then it is actually a reference to Spider-Man Two when he loses, yeah, his, when powers. He loses his powers. Yeah, he yeah, falls like falls off, with, uh, falls like twenty feet onto a car. <laughs> like he's web swinging or something, like that, and he falls and hurts his back. I thought he was climbing a wall, but yeah, like he just drops down like an alleyway and just smashed into a car and just walks yeah. going, my back! But yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in there, and um, I think we talked about, and we know we talked about Totally Not Mark, um, the guy who lost like all his videos to Toy Animation. Yeah. He did a, a breakdown of the Spider-Man films, and he was talking about how, like, there's things in, there's the obvious one of um, Andrew Garfield catching MJ. In this world, where he dropped her on the previous one, yeah, I actually have a, a funny story about that. I was sitting watching that scene uh, again with with my usual kind of cinema going. I was sitting at the edge, like I always book like four seats for everybody in a row, and there was a woman uh, with her friend sitting next to me. And uh, at that point, when uh, Andrew Garfield Spider Man dives off the roof and catches MJ, and he's holding her, it's like he has like kind of tearful moments, like couldn't save Gwen. You know, my the younger Peter, my little brother Peter, isn't going to have to go through this. A woman grabbed my hand and went, she <laughs> grabbed my hand and looked at me and said, he did it. He saved her. That's <laughs> the point. I'm like, stop touching my hand. Watch I got, the film. I got to say, though, it is a beautiful moment. And I do I do really like it in terms of, like, okay, what can we achieve with the story? We can give one character, like, a redemption arc. Where, like, yeah, he makes up for the, the mistake he made or a mistake he made in the previous life. And yeah. I, as you say, the idea that you know the, the Spider Men are all brothers, and you know it's, it's Toby at the top, Andrew in the middle, and then Tom down the bottom as like the young the young kid brother, and the yeah. idea that you know he gets to save his little brother, like, oh, that's a nice little extra layer of just yeah. kind of like joy on that scene. But then and, uh, and they he, kind of both get a chance to like make sure young Peter doesn't make their mistakes. Like the very end fight, which again we're kind of jumping all over here, but we haven't. We haven't spoken, we haven't podcasted in a while, so this is going to be a bit here and scare him. But uh, the final fight between Tom Holland, Peter Parker, and the Green Goblin, like you get Tom Maguire just kind of stepping in, like, dude, I've done this before. Be better than me. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's a nice little character moment. Yeah, well, that was a good point. That one say, look, hey, you viciously murdering this guy with his own weapon, like it, it's not going to feel the way you think it feels. Trust me, <laughs> we can fix this. We can solve this situation. People don't have to die. We're still Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of moments in those three. You're like, huh, that like that alone would have sold the movie. But having every scene feel like their scenes together, where there's like, any, if there's more than like three characters on screen, it, everything feels like the way they. It's like, huh, I I can't believe like if this is a payoff, I am I'm happier with this payoff more than I am the last like even Endgame. I'm happier with this as the final payoff of the MCU than I am with Endgame. I'm kind of glad that I stuck around with 
that a little longer just to enjoy these yes. films. Because it's a, I talk about, like, you know, when it comes to comic books, it's almost referred to as a run. This is a fantastic run of Spider-Man in cinema. Yeah. But it does beg the question for me, what more can they do? I think what they're going to do, because they've, they've uh, dubbed this the, kind of, the high school trilogy. The next one is going to be the kind of college trilogy where it's Peter trying to, you know, piece his life back together. But I think what they're going to do is, uh, well, again, spoilers, but if you haven't seen the film by now, it's out on Blu-ray, it's out, you can buy it on Prime, you can, there's ways to watch the film. Quite frankly, the statute of limitations is up for spoilers, right? Yeah. But the end of the film shows Peter without a fancy suit, without the Stark suit, without any of the suits that he's made using Stark technology, it's just him and essentially a spandex, old school comic book accurate Spider-Man suit swinging through uh, New York City with a police scanner. So I think they're going to strip it right back. Yeah, going back to absolute basics. I've genuinely forgotten how to podcast. I never usually have Dr. Pepper or Fizzy Juice on a podcast. <laughs> it is gassy as all hell. Ah, they're going to strip it right the fuck back. And uh, they've already kind of laid some seeds like when the at the end fight on the Statue of Liberty and Doctor Strange is trying to contain the spell, you see other little characters like you see Scorpion, you see or you see the silhouettes of Scorpion, Craven the Hunter, Black Cat. So that, that could be potential avenues that they could explore either in Sony's solo outings or in, in the MCU itself. So there's plenty of different directions that they could go in, but I know for definite it's going to be a scaled down friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like what they did with the Batman in uh, the Justice League and uh, Batman vs Superman. This is Batman fighting the big threat. But yeah. in uh, Matt Reeves, the Batman, it's scaled down. It's Batman is a detective. He's trying to save Gotham City as opposed to he's trying to save the world. Yeah, which would be good because, I mean, Spider-Man's been operating way above his level for the last, like, ten films or something at this point. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just being in the Avengers puts him out of his league. And part of the films that have been quite good about that is he's struggling. He's not able to do all this stuff. Like, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll jump, he'll pitch into the fight, but, like, this is not his forte. You know, he's a guy who stops criminals and muggers. And I think having him give up the mantle of being the, the Stark inheritor, and then yeah. that means in a couple, like, films of, like, self imposed exile, he can come back as an Avenger in whatever big film they want to plan, you can come back, retake the mantle of the Stark Inheritor, and then go back from there. You know, you have you, you give yourself a bit of room to write stories and grow a bit. Especially since, because we jumped into the Spider-Man as an Avenger, we didn't get to see the kind of, like, screwing around in New York City part of his life. Because everyone just kind of assumed, hey, you already kind of know this from the previous two attempts. It is quite cool. It'll be cool to see how Spider-Man who operated with you know, Friday's ear, literally Friday and Karen in his ear telling him what to do, giving him, you know, maps of the city and stuff like that. He's not got happy, you know, giving him, you know, tactics and stuff like that. He doesn't have the Avengers around him. It's going to be good to see how that Spider-Man reacts to just being, you know, the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man going and stopping muggers and shit. I was going to ask the question of what do you think will be the uh, the plan in terms of Sony versus Marvel for this stuff? Because I'm looking I back through the list of films that Sony have made, and it, looking at the films that come up, there's not a lot of stuff that's like, okay, this is this is a good one. There's occasional bits and pieces here and there that are quite good films, or films that I enjoyed, but there's nothing that I can think of 
as being uh, as big a film. I mean, the, actually looking at the list of things that have been re- released, um, mm. the biggest film I can see on their releases since the start of 2020 is the My Hero Academia, like an anime movie. And that was mm. big only because it's the third film that falls on from the fifth season of an established anime and like one of the biggest ones of the last decade. Other than that, yeah. it's all stuff that I'm like, ugh, this, uh, this, this list of films kind of sucks. Um, I think Morbius is going to be the massive open door that Marvel are going to need to try and get Spider-Man back. Because, uh, like it or not, Marvel still have, I mean, Sony have rights to make films about Spider-Man. But ultimate control over the character still rests with Marvel. Right? They can still dictate, you know, how the how the character is put out and things like that. Obviously, they can still make films. Film rights rest with Sony, but control of the character is with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I reckon they're going to use Morbius and its woeful performance in the cinemas, and they're probably going to try and say, "Look, this whole solo villains universe that you've got, you're trying to set up, it doesn't work." And Venom. Barely worked, right? Venom one people went and seen it and it was enough of a weird buddy cop film that people get to see it, but Venom two wasn't wasn't well received. And people like most of the people that I heard even leaving the cinema when I went to see Venom two were just like, dude, if it wasn't for the Marvel reference at the end, I don't see the point in that film because, you know, Carnage dies, they can't bring back Carnage and you already killed Woody Harrelson in that universe, so you can't bring back Cletus Cassidy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to lie, Woody Harrelson, kind of a draw. Not like a massive yeah. draw, not like saying, okay, we're going to have like Angelina Jolie in this one, but kind of for people who enjoy weird films, oh, Woody Harrelson's in this one? I'll give it a go. Yeah, I've I- just uh, sent you the list, by the way, of the films that Columbia Pictures is making from 2020 to 2029. And if you look mm-hmm. at what's been released since 2020, nothing on there is a, like, nothing a lot. Not a lot of stuff that's on there that's quite big. I say the biggest ones are the stuff that's tied to Marvel and the stuff that's tied to pre-existing anime. Other than that, yeah. just fuck it. A lot of Russian films. I mean, Ghostbusters Afterlife was good. I genuinely enjoyed that film. Really? Uh, it, was, it was another one of those kind of, I had no expectations. I watched it and I was like, holy shit, that is genuinely good. And it's better than the previous attempt, Ghost, Ghostbusters, with uh, the all-female Melissa cast, McCarthy yeah. and... Uh, Kristen Wiig, genuinely better than that attempt. Uh, but yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, there's not a massive draw for Sony right now. <laughs> and then you look at Morbius, which was fell flat on its face. You look at Uncharted, that fell flat on its face as well. Uh, and then you look at the films that they've got coming up soon. They've got Craven the Hunter, which is another solo villain movie, which aren't shown work very well. Um, and then they've got Madame Web. No one outside of those who watch the old 90s cartoon even fucking knows who Madam Web is. This is a bad <laughs> bad character to make a film about. They're like, what do we have? <laughs> what, what, what is on the list of things we have? Like, the idea that you're going to get a Craven Hunter film as well, that's like, who, who the fuck is asking for that? Um, exactly. Equalizer 3. Is that still making those films? Alright. Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and then a part two of that, all released yeah. within... Roughly, I mean, those are only like nine months apart. Yeah, brave. Uh, <laughs> well, I can say that across the Spider Verse and across the Spider Verse 2, 
are going to make them stupid money. Because the first one is, I mean, I think I watch it yearly, maybe less than that since it came out. It is it's a ridiculously good film. Uh, but yeah, those two, those two films are going to make them a lot of money. I don't think Grave and the Hunter is going to do too well because people are still going to have that, you know, horrible taste in their mouth from Morbius. To the point where I get people uh, through uni and stuff like that who ask, who know that I like comic books and stuff like that. They talk to me just going, "Who the fuck? What the fuck is Morbius?" <laughs> and I say it's Michael Morbius. He's a villain from the Spider-Man cart- uh, old Spider-Man comics. And by the time I finish saying he's a villain from the comics, I've lost interest. I've lost the room, quite frankly. <laughs> you can maybe bring him back with he fights Blade. He fights Blade. They might bring Wesley Snipes back. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Again, by the time I say Blade, they're gone. Like <laughs> I'm talking to <laughs> They physically Lord. left the room. Uh, I'm actually looking at their, what they're doing for the next year I was, or two. I was looking, I'm looking forward at Columbia Pictures list. They have a Ghost of Tsushima film. Yeah, I heard about that one. That might be interesting. A Metal Gear Solid film. Oh yeah, they're just taking all the Sony IPs like from the PlayStation games or running with it. Yeah, and they have an untitled Garfield film, which is, I think might be the one with uh, Chris Pratt as Garfield. Oh yeah. I uh, forgot another Ghostbuster, Ghostbuster sequel. Uh, more uh, Spider-Man villain films with the Olivia Wilde and Robert Orchie films. And you've got Spider- another Spider-Man No Way Home sequel, a Spider-Woman spin-off, an Uncharted sequel, and Venom 3. Huh. Yeah, they're kind of... That's interesting. Actually, there's another Spider-Man film in there. Silk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silk is a Korean-American superhero appearing in an American comic book published by Marvel Comics. Silk is yeah. a list of Cindy Moon who appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number one. So Yeah, she was bitten by the same spider that bit Peter. Huh. Interesting. So there's some kind of weird funky pheromone thing between them. Like, the two of them physically can't stay apart from each other. Uh, well then, that will be interesting. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Spider-Man, you know how you just kind of lost your, your, your normal girlfriend? How about... Second girlfriend who also has Spider-Man powers. Hmm. <laughs> here's what here's what we got. We got you another one. Here's, here's the shameless tie into the Asian market. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, uh, you see some films these days, and you're like, guys, you you don't need the China money that much. <laughs> you don't need to do that much. Right, uh, we're back after a quick break, and I think it's time for a quick pivot away from Spider-Man, which I, mean, I guess you can tell we'd highly recommend this film. Um, yep. and then just pivot straight to the Batman. Um, I mean, this is the Robert Pattinson Batman that was kind of in production for a while. Um, yeah, for a long time. And yeah, that was obviously stuck with uh, trying to produce a film during COVID, which must have been an sh- absolute shitmare. And then, yeah, yeah I, I, I've never seen the trailer for this and be like, I'm cautiously optimistic for this one. Um, but Dom, you are the resident Batman expert. Have I hit, sir? Yeah, um, this had all the, the makings of someone who's actually paying attention to... Not just Batman himself, but everything around him. Like, instead of just filming it and like we're going to dress up the New York or something like that, we're going to dress up a soundstage and make it look like Gotham. Now they went to uh, Glasgow for the first like three, four, maybe five months of production. So quite a lot of the film, like the the places that you see, it's just a, a set dressed Glasgow, and it looks phenomenal. You can kind of they kind of make a Gotham a bit more of a, a character in this. Like Gotham itself is a a thing in of its own that you need to need to, you need to take account of, and all the other, like all the other characters just work within Gotham. Yeah, 
that makes sense. It's definitely it a very solid setting. And uh, the the hallmark of a good comic book film, in my mind, is when I can pinpoint what books went into making this, and two immediately stick out to me, and that is uh, Frank Miller's Year One, which is a very young and experienced Batman, or a, a fresh Batman, shall we say, and this Batman has only been Batman for about two years, which fits into it. And uh, the second film, uh, the second uh, comic, is a comic called The Long Halloween, which is uh, the, the origin story of Two-Face. But how they use it in this is uh, instead of, obviously, Two-Face, they have the Riddler. And it's him setting up these different killings to try and... He basically tells people, this person will die if you don't expose the truth, that kind of thing. But in the comic book, The Long Halloween, it is... I think it's one of the Falcons is trying to get back at his father, so he's saying, like, uh, until uh, you recognise like, who I am, that kind of thing, I will keep killing on these certain holidays, and they call him the Holiday Killer. And they kind of use use those two, obviously change them quite heavily, and they inject that into the into this into the script, and it makes for probably one of the best Batman films that I've seen. It certainly overwrites some previous attempts. Like I like Batman vs Superman, but this film is miles better than Batman vs Superman to the point where it's to me the Dark Knight is a ten, the Batman's a nine point nine. Hmm. There's certain things I could have done a bit, I would have done better. I would have, I would say, I would have done better. There's certain things I would have changed, but there's also certain things that I just think genuinely could not have done that better. Like uh, one thing I praise highly about uh, this version of the Batman is that Bruce Wayne is almost not a character. Yeah, uh, Bruce Bruce Wayne gets pushed so far into the distance that it's just basically, it's almost like Batman has to be kind of reminded. Oh, by the way, Master Bruce, that's your name. You're Bruce Wayne. Remember that. <laughs> You have a business meeting in like 10 minutes, right? You're just still kind of waking up from punching villains last night? You, you know, wake the fuck up? Yeah. Also, like, the, uh, during his open monologue, it seems like I've been doing this for so long that I'm now a nocturnal animal. Then when you see him in Wayne Tower, I think it is, he's talking to Alfred, but the sunlight's beaming through the windows. He has to put on a pair of sunglasses just to read something. That, and I mean, he's Robert Pattinson. He's pretty pallid as it is, but this seems like he yeah. doesn't look healthy at all. Yeah, it, it, he, yeah, that's that's another good point. He doesn't look, you know, he's your typical like Ben Affleck in Batman vs Superman and Justice League looks like a billionaire. Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne in this one doesn't look healthy, right? Obviously, he's still he's got the physical uh, body about him to beat up villains and stuff every night, beat up thugs, but he doesn't look healthy. His skin's pale. You know, he's always squinting. He's got like dark eyes. He's got the like even before he puts on the grease paint underneath his uh, cowl, he's still got the kind of dark eyes around him. Yeah, it's weird that like, say like how he, he still looks because he has a physique. It's weird though, like he he looks so skinny even though he's muscular. You're kind of like, can I get you something to eat? You know, can yeah. I get you like a burrito? <laughs> Just want him to eat something about something about meat on the bones beyond the kind of muscle that something he has. Something about protein. Yeah, I think. Do, do I you remember pastry? Kind of a, a deliberate choice. You know. Yeah, it like turns him into more of a kind of. Fit. Underfed, just to say that he's so devoted to this thing that he's almost forgot how to eat. Like he's forgotten how to like take care of himself. He's so devoted to this whole being the Batman. Thing. Yeah, I like the uh, the the idea that he's kind of leaned down a little bit and it looks a bit more, I was gonna say, predatory. Because a large part of the the initial kind of introduction of Batman in this world is just stalking out the shadows. Yeah, very well done. That like Batman coming out of shadows is. Fucking awesome! It's done like twice in the movie, and both times you're like, "Oh shit, here comes Batman!" Yeah, 
that was like if I had to kind of bullet point it, the first thing I would say is they make excellent use of Batman's intimidation. Mm-hmm. First part that you're talking about in the first ten minutes of the film is when he's walking through the subway station, and he sees the group of uh, ghouls or whatever the hell they are. I don't know what the gang's called, but they've got the black and white face paint on. And the guy pulls some shitty on him. Like they, all, they all hear the footsteps because one of them, the guy, the young guy that they're trying to get to beat up the Asian dude in the train, he turns around because he hears the footsteps, and you don't hear, you don't see Batman. You just hear these heavy thudding footsteps, yeah. and it goes on for a and, while as well. Yeah. And they do that a couple of times in the film, except they do it after my favourite scene in the entire film, Batmobile chasing, which it sounds cheesy, but it is fucking cinema, right? It is fucking cinema, that, that Batmobile chasing. And part of it is in the trailer for a very good reason. Part of it is what, sorry? Part of it is in the trailer for a very good reason as well. Yeah. Because it is. And it, goes on for a, it goes on for a lot longer than you think it, think it does. Great scene. I, the, the bit in the, after the Batmobile chasing, it doesn't hide in the shadows, but it's still just as intimidating because you can see Penguin shitting himself, just going, this guy's still fucking alive. What have I got to do? I've blown him up. I've shot him. I've blown up his car. What have I got to do to kill this guy? I was going to say, it's, towards him. it's more intimidating, just with the backlit fire of just a burning truck. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that took me out of that scene was the fact that the Batmobile can flip a truck. Huh? What? what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's the Batmobile, man. It's one of the things of like, it's the Batmobile... Fuck the physics, it doesn't really work, but it does. Just 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 go yeah. with it. It's for the film. Smile and wave. Um but the, the, the Batman walking at the shadows is very good and I think it just adds to it. and it's but the fact that it takes so long, it's like he started taking heavy footsteps in advance because he knew like the guy had maybe two seconds before he gets stabbed. So he's like, Okay, yeah. you gotta do heavy steps now to distract everyone and give me time to close the distance. And he's like it seems like he's intentionally intimidating people and bringing up this the legacy of the Batman. I'm starting out here, I need to make a name for myself. And it needs to be in every little action I do. See, I like that you pointed out the um the fact this is like kind of year one Batman. Where because yeah. I was going to say one thing I like about this is Batman's not as good as he should be, or as as good as we're used to him being in the last couple of films that's been made. Like the Nolan trilogy, he's pretty much untouchable. Like he's really good. Um, yeah, it takes something special to just put like take him off his step. You know, he's you know. Yeah. But see, this Batman's kind of shitty like he's not bad but at the same time he's not as good as batman can be i mean in the last films he's been punching gods out and stuff it's definitely if and if you could try and almost like this i'm talking like such a pretentious wanker tonight but if you try and like distill each different batman like christopher nolan it was just like this is what a peak human being sounds like like uh and zack snyder's batman it's just like this is what a god looks like Mm. but in this one it's just this guy's just a Dude trying his best. <laughs> and he's still he's still better than eighty nine percent of everything out of there, but there's still that ten percent that's gonna catch him off guard. It's it, this is what an obsessive twenty something year old is like with a yeah. with a billion dollars. Yeah, and I think I, I don't know if it's I don't know if they touch upon who trained them, but um or who else trained them, but they kinda say that Alfred did most of his training. So he's only really up to the capabilities of someone who used the SAS, because I think Every iteration of Alfred since um, Michael Caine has been Battle Alfred, as I call him. Like, uh, He's Michael, not just the Butler. Michael Caine's Alfred was very kind of genteel, very kind of to the manner born. Like he was in the army, sure, but he, you know he's put all that stuff aside because he's a butler. Yeah. And then you get Jeremy Irons' Alfred, who's just you know I was I'm still like a military tactician, and you've got Circus, but <laughs> Circus's uh, Alfred, who's like I could still kill a motherfucker if I need to. Uh, yeah, he's um, 
I don't think they mention the training directly other than say, you helped me out, Alfred, but would that leave space for Ra's al Ghul and the, the League of Shadows later on? Batman was never trained by Ra's al Ghul. Huh. That's something that they put into the Nolan films. Oh, uh, right. Batman was actually trained by someone called Lady Shiva. She basically trained him in the original run of the comics, and then during the Nightfall run, when Batman gets his back broken by Bane, that's too many a bees long in sentence, sense. that one now. That's a, when he gets his back broken, uh, Lady Shiva rebuilds him. So yeah, the, the whole uh, Rachel Ghoul training Batman thing, that was just for the, the Nolan movies. Huh, because I, I appreciate that quite a lot now, because that kind of worked. At least for me, anyway. Yeah, it, it does work, and it, it does explain uh, the character a bit better. It's just like, how does he learn to fight? He can't just be self-taught. The things that Batman knows can't just be random things. He needs to be taught by a master. So it makes sense to have a master of all combat, like a Rachel Ghoul or a Lady Shiva, coming in to teach him these things. As well as but, the uh, emphasis on, like, not only just, like, good, like, steady hand, like, hand-to-hand combat on top of quick disarmament and disabling your opponents, yeah. but the use of, like, fear tactics. But again, also works if you've been taught by someone from the SES. <laughs> yes. But, no, Rachel Ghoul originally comes into the comics, but he hears about Batman and his exploits in uh, Gotham City, and he is basically chosen as Rachel Ghoul's heir, and that's what gets him, that's what involves Rachel Ghoul with Batman. It's like, no, I can't keep doing this forever. You're going to take over my organization. I deem you as fit. The only problem is you're not as bloodthirsty as I'd like you to be. <laughs> so Rachel Ghoul kind of runs him through the ringer. It's like, no, you're, I'm going to put you in a situation where your only choice is to kill someone. And that's what leads to the Under the Red Hood storyline where, you know, Rachel Ghoul hires the Joker. The Joker goes a bit off script, kidnaps Jason Todd and kills him. Well, a true comedian's uh, strength is an improv. <laughs> yep. And he all improv the shit out of them. <laughs> the ultimate yes hand <laughs> murdering the murdering the guy who held hostage <laughs> I mean this, this this seems more grounded as well when we talk about the yeah. last couple of films uh, I would actually say the Nolan films were weren't too silly but the Zack Snyder Justice League stuff has been just ab- yeah the Z- Zack Snyder's Justice League was a grounded serious take but it was literally at one point in Zack Snyder's Justice League uh, Batman just tanks three shots from a parademon. He's getting shot the shit out by this like massive laser thing, and he just sticks up the gauntlet and takes the hits. Batman would dodge those; he wouldn't just hit, take them. Like, or he's have... only a human. Or he'd have a scene like half an hour before where he's like, oh, "I've made these new gauntlets that have uh, been calibrated to deflect the laser energy of the the beams and some some shit yeah. like that." There'd be some nonsense. Yeah, I've, I've seen the exact laser frequency of them, so I've. My, I've, you know, harmonized my gauntlets to that exact frequency so they reflect the beams instead of uh, me taking that damage. Yeah. But no, he just takes the hit. He's like, ah, oh, fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I, want, I want to go home, fuck it, bang. <laughs> I'm ignoring yeah. your shots today. But yeah, I say this one seems a little bit more down to earth. I mean, yeah, maybe it's just the setting and just going back to kind of talk about, like, Spider-Man will go back to basics. Now, a new yeah. Batman trilogy needs to go. Yeah, and I think they need to they what is or from my mind anyway, Matt Reeves definitely wanted to take a different approach to his Batman. I think that's what he did. Because whereas Nolan's Batman was all about peak physical prowess and, you know, there was a bit of touching on the detective side because there were some scenes where he was doing some detective work. Uh, then in 
Zack Snyder's Batman, he was all about I am like the big bruiser Batman, but like the Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller Batman. No detective work whatsoever. And then Matt Reeves Batman, she's like, okay, he can fight. We've seen that he can fight, but he, he's the he's bulletproof because you know the gaps in his knowledge are being filled with Kevlar. Very much honed down on the detective side. Minus one glaring error, which a detective should have realistic, re- realistically realized that a flying rat is not a penguin, right? Found that ridiculous. Yeah. Like he's meant to be the world's world's greatest detective. He's like, yeah, flying rat. It's a penguin. We need to go find the penguin. No, you don't. Flying rat's a bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, it's one of those things. Of like, I think we've all heard that phrase at some point, but I just kind of ignored it for the movie. I was just like, okay, okay. <laughs> it kind of bugged me. I was like, no, the flying rat would have been a bat, but I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of disassociative thing. It's like I'm not involved in this. How could I be involved in this? Or that's how I can rationalize it in my head. It's like he doesn't think he's involved with it. Yeah, how could I be the problem? I'm the Batman, you know? Yeah, no one knows. Uh, people run in fear from me. They don't know who I am. Actually, that's a good point because I, I was wondering about this as well because we were talking about this being more of a detective heavy film. And mm. I was just like, I don't see as much of, I mean, I don't know what I really want out of a detective in a, a superhero film. But I, I was like, okay, this isn't really doing much in terms of an investigation. Like, yeah, he shows up to the crime scenes, he's poking around, he's checking things out, he finds a few bits and pieces, but. Like, in terms of getting to see Batman's problem-solving, I didn't see much there. Because a lot of the scenes are just him being told a riddle and him being like, well, I know the answer. I don't think you were shown the answer at any point, so you just kind of know it. So, I mean, you're smart. But I, I, I just was like, okay, I was hoping for more of an investigation, a la, say, something like Sherlock Holmes films. Remember the Robert Downey yeah. Jr. ones? But that yeah, would take I, I too much time. I see that, yeah. I think for me it was more they actually showed him doing detective work and a lot of the film was focused on that. It was him like solving the kind of Riddler puzzles and stuff like that. And it showed you him actually interacting with the crime scene instead of just going, oh yeah, that was the murder weapon, Batman away. Like, <laughs> like a very serious film and then just Batman away and just smashes that window contaminating a crime scene. <laughs> yeah. Cuts himself, his blood's all over the place. Like, don't test that blood. Don't test that blood. I'm not Bruce Wayne. Don't ask Alfred. He's certainly not the butler who raised me. Well, actually, one thing I quite enjoyed as well, we're talking about this being like year one Batman, is that cops don't trust him. Like, there's yeah, just. Where he's just up to the crime scene, like, are you fucking. Like, cop professional yeah. police officers, they're like, Chief, are you fucking kidding me? This guy, yeah. the masked retard, gets in here. <laughs> We've had to yeah. steal this crime and scene for like 40 years. Point, they can turn a. Left, uh, Lieutenant Gordon and go, are you sure, man, this guy? Like, we don't trust this guy. Don't let him in here. He dude, doesn't know what he's doing. He's like, oh, relax, man. I can vouch for him. Dude, get dude, him out of here. Dude, he's a man dressed as a bat. You want him on a crime scene? <laughs> Forensics are here in 20 minutes. They will be pissed. He's still wet. <laughs> I like that, that was, yeah, uh, that was another thing about this film. It's, I don't think the rain stops once until the end of the film. After that, I think it comes on as the, as the two main characters drive away. The rain comes back on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, actually, one thing I want to say. Um, I kind of wish they'd done more with uh, with Catwoman. I don't know why. I, just, I, I don't think they did a lot. I I kind of thought the opposite. I thought they'd done the right amount to the point where they maybe could have had her in more. Because I think some of the best scenes in the film where it was just again this this annoyed quite a few people. I don't know why though, because they're always complaining like, oh, why are these two people with no chemistry like getting together? It's like, no, these people have great like. Pretty good chemistry. They work well together. Th- those people There's are great as their characters. sexual tension between yeah. them. That's kind of the that point: is... is that Batman yeah. is just kind of not interested. <laughs> yeah, 
with cat like Catwoman's a kind of grey area. Catwoman's always been the one to kind of like make Batman think, shit, she's quite hot. I'm gonna tell him Bruce Wayne, no wait, I can't my vow. How bad is crime really? <laughs> I could take a night off. Yeah. See see what Selena's up to. But yeah, like uh, this this pissed a lot of people off because I was listening to a few podcasts and they were talking about like that's not my catwoman, man. Catwoman's meant to be this like sexy, like absolutely thought of a woman. Like, I mean, Zoe Kravitz was, I was like, ridiculously what? good looking in this film. Like, bro, what film are you watching? <laughs> yeah. I have nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, and she was great in the film. She did a really good job playing again a year one version of Selena Kyle Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Did a really good job playing that, and how those two work together, like with their different styles, how she's more a bit more. Gung Ho, she's willing to like shoot someone, but whereas uh, Batman's a bit more reserved. They work really well together. They have good chemistry, but like you said, there's no sexual tension between them, and that pissed people off. Batman should be trying to get a piece of that. Like, no, this is Batman who doesn't even want to admit that he's human at this point. He just wants to be this, this terror, this intimidation yeah. that stalks itself in the night, like that stalks people in the night. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to admit that that's a side of him. So like, it stalks itself in the night. I just got the image of Batman crawling through the sewers, like I'll kick my own ass. <laughs> that's what that's what would happen. Like, I've always said that if Batman solved all crime in Gotham City, he would just start fighting himself. But uh, I mean, solve my own problems, Alfred. Clone me. <laughs> Alfred, fire up the cloning machine. <laughs> but I, I like. I, we I don't have one of those. We do now. I'm making one right now. <laughs> I got Wayne Enterprises on it. Morgan Freeman. I mean, Lucius Fox is making me one. But uh, it's a good point you made that at this point, Batman is so like I say, he he's a he's a very incredibly focused twenty-something billionaire. He is yeah. seeing the world in black and white. Selena Kyle is always the gray area. She's all about the kind of I mean, I'm stealing, but yes, I'm stealing to feed orphans. How do we yeah, feel I'm about stealing now? And it's her gradual seduction of Batman that kind of makes him break down a few walls and kind of. Admit that there is a grey area between his worldview and lets a little bit of hers in. Like, if they say that she's coming back for a couple more films, which I assume they are, I would be okay with that because I'm okay now we get time yeah, to do more. I think she's signed on for all three. Because she did say, I did say something about them because they've obviously they filmed in Glasgow, they're coming back to film in Glasgow later on. And she's like, I can't wait to be yeah, back. So. And I'm like, hell yes. If she's coming back for these films, great, we can, I mean, we can go further with those characters in a relationship. Just it doesn't all have to happen in one film. If they do come back to Glasgow, I will be there to get pictures because, as I told you, towards the end of my uh, tenure at Strathclyde, they were filming the Batgirl with uh, whoever the hell's playing Batgirl. I know, she, uh, what's his name? J.K. Simmons is coming back as uh, Commissioner Gordon in that film. But they're filming the Batgirl in Glasgow, and I was just seeing, you know, Gotham City Police Department cars, Gotham City Fire Department cars. Gotham City taxis and Gotham City news. I'm like, you can't show me this stuff and expect me to go to uni and function. Like, I want to find out what that is. Like, so if they're coming back to Glasgow, it would be, I think it'd be a massive boon for the film because Glasgow, like, like you said, I think to me in a text, like, Glasgow fits Gotham to a T. Yeah, I mean, if you want a, a somehow ancient but still kind of modern seeming metropolis that feels kind of depressing and grey and covered in rain all a the bit time. Gothic. Where better to find it than Glasgow? <laughs> Visit Glasgow. It's kind of scary and sad. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit bleak. <laughs> the, the slogan, for those of you who don't know, uh, for Glasgow, the city of Glasgow, is that people make Glasgow. It was kind of yeah, brought up during, I was, was it the, the Commonwealth Games? 
couple yeah. of oh, people make Glasgow. <laughs> like you want to be like Batman makes Glasgow. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, the ending was like super cheesy, and you knew it was coming from a fucking mile away. Uh, with the driving away scene. But at the same time, watching it, you're like, this is good. I, I see it coming a mile away, and I don't mind watching it. Yeah. It it did come from a mile away, but it, they kind of need to... They, they need to do the obvious ending before they can reinvent the wheel in the second and third films, because I know for a fact they want... Uh, Matt Reeves wants to do the unusual type of villains. He wants to do more with the Court of Vowels, which is the secret society of Gothamites, like rich Gothamites that run Gotham City. He wants to do more with that, and he wants to do kind of lesser-known villains. Well, that, that'd be obviously, good. Not, obviously not lesser-known villains, but villains that haven't really had this, the chance to shine. Like, I've heard that he's put the Joker in the film, but he's not going to be a villain. Like He's going to just be there in the background kind of taunting Batman, mm. but he's not going to be a villain. You could even, what I've heard. If this is an investigative Batman, Joker could be a red herring. Yeah, could be. That way you get your Joker cake, and you can eat it too. Because um, quite frankly, I remember when I when I went to go and see it, uh, there's a scene where Riddler and uh, who we assume would be the Joker, but it hasn't been confirmed until the deleted scene came out on YouTube. That's okay, that is the Joker, hundred ten percent. Second in cinema, the, yeah. Second in cinema, I was. I was that's the Joker in the film, but yeah, it's, it's the Joker, and the deleted scene confirms it. See, second in cinema, and watching that play out, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding?" me? Yeah, uh, that, that's exactly what I said to my brother who was sitting next at the time. I went, "Really, the Joker can." Can we just admit that the Joker's not even the best Batman villain and move on? That's the it. Joker is so overdone at this point. The best thing people talk about Batman is the rogues gallery. The entire mad array of villains he has. Some of them are yeah. totally comic big nuts and <laughs> it's a weird lizard man from the sewers. Like, that's a bit odd. But I'm sure there's yeah. probably enough. If we, I mean, this, uh, if Matt Reeves is doing it, we, he's thinking about a big part yeah. of the first movie and a big part of what you make a series out of is corruption in Gotham. How do yep. politicians become corrupt? You can do a lot with that. You can say a lot there as well. So you know, there's, if he, if he's going to do that, there's probably plenty of villains that help do weird, wacky superhero stuff and exploit corruption within Gotham. There's two villains I really want Matt Reeves to just go nuts with, and that is obviously not really a single villain, but the Court of Vowels and the, and Talon. Like the talents he can enforce for the court of elves. I want him to just go fucking ham with that because I know Matt Reeves will do it really, really well. And I really, really want to see Matt Reeves' version of Harvey Dent because his version of a of a, a district attorney who is like the shining light in Gotham, who just realizes that he needs to become evil itself to you know to get anywhere to actually make sure like all these convictions stick and to actually beat crime in Gotham. I think that'd be amazing to see. Is there any kind of tie-in between Harvey Dent and the Court of Owls? Uh, I don't think so. Again, was... I've only just started buying the Court of Owls books. I've only oh. got literally volume one. But uh, there probably is some kind of crossover between Dent and the Court of Owls. Because I was going to say... If not, like, Harvey Dent himself is a friend of Bruce Wayne, so if they just have him show up as, oh, here's your friend uh, Harvey Dent, and then just let that play out, I think that would, I think that would work. Well, I was going to say, if you've got three films... Done the first one. The second one, you've got two villains to prosecute. Harvey Dent's prosecutor, right? Uh, yeah. Introduce yeah. him as that. Have him flip to become Two-Face. And then have it turn out that he's tied to the Court of Owls, which you use for the third film. Because mm. if you know, you're dealing with the entire corrupt crime syndicate, you can have their enforcer, Talon, appear as a big physical villain, and then the Court of Owls is the 
the kind of big shadow master uh, organization behind it all. I mean, there's there's loads of different ways that they can introduce a whole bunch of characters, and I kind of hope they do. Yeah, there's another character I kind of like them to see. I kind of like to see, and that's the character Prometheus, who's basically the anti-Batman. Like similar situation, like similar circumstances, but he just he thinks that the only way to avenge his parents is to snuff out any and all good in Gotham City because it was you know the police that killed his parents. Ooh, so I think I kind of like the antithesis of Batman would be would be good to see as much as I'd like to see Bane come back. Have it be Tom Hardy. Think. Pretend it's the exact same character. Just just don't blink. Yeah. Just keep the gag going. <laughs> yeah. I know. I kind of like them to see bring. I kind of like to see them bring back Venom. And have that be a kind of crutch, but I can see why Nolan got rid of it because it's just all Batman needs to do is cut the venom tube on the back of his neck, and that's Bane dead. See, so we're talking it because we're talking about Tom Hardy. I assume we're talking yeah. about the, the Marvel character Venom as well. <laughs> but no, the Venom, the the the, the drug that makes Bane. Yeah, the steroids. Yeah, they could have that, but as yeah, Christopher Nolan rightly identified, all you need to do to beat uh, Bane is cut the tube on the back of his neck, and everyone's like, "Oh shit, he's beaten." But uh, is that not what yeah, happens I mean, in the Arkham Asylum? Yeah, that's what happens in the Arkham Asylum games. It's what happens in the all the DC animated movies where Bane's in it. He just all Batman is all Batman needs to do is throw a batarang at that tube. I was going to say, like, done. you have a a plastic tube transferring your life giving fluid against an enemy who throws shurikens all the time <laughs> with pinpoint accuracy. Yeah, like yeah, armor plate that thing. Of all the things you could do, just like Kevlar, like a little bit of Kevlar, tape it around the Actually, outside. I just had a thought of the villain. Absolutely fucking love to see Dan and Matt Reeves style, but again, it'd be a bit too soon. They need to do some finagling to fit him in perfectly. I'd love to see him do uh, the Red Hood Jason Todd story. Hmm. Like Batman's biggest failure coming back to haunt him. But you'd need, obviously you need to establish Jason Todd as Robin, then you need to kill him, then you need to do a time skip, and then you need to have him come back. But he comes back through kind of multiverse space magic, so... I mean, if you're if you've got two films left to play, if you if you start it from the beginning of film one <laughs> or film two, and you, you immediately bring Robin Hood, uh, Robin in, I don't want to say Robin Hood there. If you bring Robin in, yeah. and then have him work with Batman through the film to build a relationship, and then kill him at the end, come back, you know, put the little credit card at the end or the little credit thing at the bottom. Five years later, Red Hood. Yeah. You could do that, and it would be cool to see, but I don't think they're going with uh, an already established Robin. Because you see the, kid, the mayor's kid, he's just like, all right, Bruce Wayne's looking at you like, I, you, I, I see myself in you, you're the you're the orphan child of a prolific person, you know, I see a lot of potential in you, he's like, yeah, that kid's going to be Robin. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's interesting. Yeah, although I, I know for a fact uh, Matt Reeves wants to stick as close to the source material as possible. And he said he has looked into the fact, or looked into having Dick Grayson, a young Dick Grayson, join this Batman, which I think could be pretty good, like a good grounding for this this character. Because as you see in this one, he is breaking people; like he's beating their faces in and stuff, taking you know a lot of fire. Yeah. Luckily, he's bulletproof, but he is quite brutal, and he's like un unhoned. He's just kind of like lashing out, and there's no finesse to his fighting. Mm-hmm. I think it could be a good. And two, they kind of bring him down to earth, but still have him, or they kind of finesse him a bit, but still have him be quite brutal. Then in the third one, they bring in Robin and just kind of, all right, I I need to be an example, and I also need to be a detective. See, I I realize that we haven't had Robin 
in any of the big uh, Batman series so far. Yeah. Um, We've had a dead Robin in Batman vs Superman, but uh, it's be- it's purely because they made Batman forty years old or something, and Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. But I mean, so I think I can put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But if you have like uh, the the Robin show up, I think the, what you're talking about is a good one where you have uh, Bruce Wayne kind of calms down, and you bring in a younger psychic who's just raging all the time. Yeah, and I think like if you take that level of fanaticism and it 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 does lead naturally into the Red Hood, but also I'd like to see how they handle having Boy Wonder show up in like bright red, but obviously to match current Batman, he also has to be kind of battle armored a little bit. Yeah, but you have to have a red Kevlar vest, I guess. Yeah. I mean that's that's the good thing about Robin. They they've done the Robin costume in so many different ways that they can justify it in any way. I mean the current Robin, Damian Wayne, has. His his version of the Robin costume is black and red because he is the biological son of Talia Al Ghul and Bruce Wayne. So he was he was raised by Ra's Al Ghul in the League of Assassins, and then also raised by Batman and Bruce Wayne when Talia basically smuggles him out from underneath Ra's nose and leaves him in Gotham with Batman. So his costume reflects his kind of thing. So there's different ways of doing the costume. It doesn't need to just be this bright red and yellow symbol of, you know. I was an acrobat, so I, I wish to strike. I wish to stick out. It could just be like I was a ninja, but also I'm red because blood is cool. Yeah. <laughs> Although Damien Wayne's a little shit. Like, I, ho- I really hope they don't do Damien Wayne. Oh, I I wonder of all the things I was thinking about, like if what would be a funny little cameo in a Batman thing, and I just can't help but think of the the RBBHS uh, videos for like the Batman metal, the Bat metal videos. Oh yeah, yeah. I would love to see that just hidden on a TV somewhere. In a Batman film. Bat metal. <laughs> yeah, just somewhere in the background, just a little bit of a reference to Batmetal, because, I mean, you're saying uh, the director wants to stick to source material. How tuned in do you think is nerd meme culture? <laughs> could we, yeah. could this be the one? Because it, it wasn't going to be Christopher Nolan. And no, Zack Snyder's not going to do it either. If we can maybe kind of sneak him some subliminal hints, but hey, buddy. <laughs> how about these I mean, Batmetal the, videos? Out of all the Batman directors that you just listed, only... Every single one of them, with the exception of Zack Snyder, cracked open more than one comic book to make a film. <laughs> uh, Batman or The Dark Knight is a combination of The Long Halloween and The Killing Joke. It's all about, you know, the one bad day to turn everybody, all these civilized people, into chaotic lunatics. Mm. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises is a, a mix of The Dark Knight Returns and Nightfall, which is Batman being pushed to his limits by Bane. And obviously, the Batman is a mixture of another book, which I think is called Dark Knight Shaman, uh, Year One, and uh, Batman: The Long Halloween. So, then for uh, Zack Snyder, his version of Batman, he was like, "I only really read one book. I know, I know which version of Batman I wanted to do, so I didn't even touch the other source material." I think he just played the Injustice video games. <laughs> I th- yeah, he, he played Injustice because he was like, "Yeah, in that version of, uh, in that version of Gotham, Batman kills." And then the Dark Knight Returns, Batman kills. So that was the version. I wanted this like big, intimidating bruiser Batman. It's like, okay, you've now just kind of ruined Batman for yourself because as much as I like the Dark Knight Returns, it's probably one of the worst Batman books. And I get it's this highly acclaimed, you know, piece of art. And I will say that it is a really good book, but in terms of Batman, probably one of the worst ones out there. Yeah. Good thing this Batman's is good, though. It's quite nice. Yeah, the Batman. Batman. <laughs> Fucking amazing film. Highly recommend it. Although Amazon saying that if I want to rent it it's 16 quid and go fuck themselves I'll just wait for the Blu-ray to come out 
Yeah, sixteen pounds to fucking rent. Look at that right now. That can fuck right off. Yeah, they can spin on that. I'll just up will watch the Batmobile chase scene over and over again on fucking YouTube through somebody's <laughs> mobile until my four uh, K copy comes. Jesus, that is yeah, that is sixteen quid for Batman. Yeah, I mean I know it just like came out. Yeah, and I've I've pre-ordered the uh, the four K Blu-ray mm-hmm. just because I can watch it on the PS Five now. Uh, want to see, want to see that film again in as best quality as I can. I'm going to watch it a few times when I get it on Blu-ray. I guarantee that. Yeah, because one one of the things we we talked about the last time was just how um how good the cinematography was and the use of color, like yeah. Batman walking towards the penguin, ah, backlit by flames. <laughs> oh, did you hear that? A little bit, yeah. I just butted my hand off my desk. Tight. Sorry, continue. But uh, I remember talking about like the, the use of color and the like, obviously Batman heavily involved in the shadows. Gotham incredibly bleak, and we were expecting kind of like a, a certain color tint that way. And yeah, just the high contrast images, very good. Use of certain lights and certain lighting colors, very good. Um, big fan of the the flare scene that's in the trailer as well. Um, yeah. Of course, Batman leading. I thought it was. I totally misread what was going on in that scene. Uh, when watching the trailer, but when you watch it as a, um, as part of the film, it's like, oh, it's a very hopeful scene in a weird way. Yeah, it's Batman. It's Batman kind of becoming that symbol of hope. Yeah. Instead of this like fear in the darkness, he's like, oh, you can actually inspire people. He inspires them with light. Uh, <laughs> um, in darkness. Because I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Um, yeah, like the, the visuals of it, very good. I absolutely yeah. would grab the the four K version of this and just try and get it on it. The best I know you, one of the things that you said you didn't like about it was how loud it could be. Mm. I thought that played into the film's strengths quite well because Gotham itself, like I said, Gotham itself kind of takes on its its own character in this film. But I thought it was meant to be loud, it's meant to be distracting, it's meant to be, you know, a lot of things go unnoticed. Mm. Like, for example, that plays in quite well with my uh, perception of the Riddler because the Riddler was a really good villain. It was a really good take on a, an established kind of cheesy villain. Yeah. The Riddler's always been kind of a joke character, I mean, in, in my if, mind. If you Google the, the Riddler, the Arkham games, they just like, all right, you're going to fight him twice, but you're going to spend most of your time collecting 120 Riddler trophies. As he kind of shit talks you on a, on a headset, <laughs> you're like, yeah, you fuck exactly. off. Exactly. And he's just like, shut up, Riddler. I'm going to beat you in three punches. And if you don't think of that version of the Riddler, you think of Jim Carrey. Yeah, and green no one would have to go through that. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, having him be, like, this kind of modern-day, like, angry guy. Yeah, angry serial killer. Like, he he has gone through that bad day and made his decision as to who he's going to be. He's not going to be fucking Batman. Having that work out be a lot more modern. Um, Although, I will say, um, in the shots just before, I I think it was during the the bombing scene, or the one, the scene where the guy, like, comes at the SUV with the bombs strapped to his chips, I'm pretty sure I saw someone on the FBI... Uh, jacket on mm-hmm. in the kind of like police cordon outside the idea that there are a group of I'll, I'll just say intels uh, who are flocking around the the Riddler you know preparing mm-hmm. to bomb or preparing to terrorist take over Gotham City and the FBI does not already know about it and it takes fucking Batman to stop them I'm like yeah. mm, kind of pierced a little bit the, the veil of reality there and the fact that he takes to stream most of his videos and stream to his followers and tell people, like, I can be anyone. I'm sorry, bro, but the, the FBI, FBI is in that chat. That. Like, <laughs> that, that was the kind of thing that I both liked and disliked about the Riddler. The Riddler was just that, I can, he was an everyman. 
he was the polar opposite to Bruce Wayne. Like he was orphaned, but he didn't get the opportunities that Bruce Wayne did, yeah. and that's why I kind of I liked him. But at the same time, because Riddler could have been anybody, he almost could have been cut out of the film. Like he was just there to get Batman from A to B. Batman was already on that path to begin with, so it could have took him slightly longer. But the Riddler was kind of... He was very welcome. Like, don't get me wrong, it sounds like I'm shitting on uh, Paul Dano's Riddler. Fucking phenomenal. But yeah. there are certain points where he almost couldn't have... Uh, he almost didn't need to be there. I don't you know like, what I mean? I'd have liked it more if Batman was wrong about, like, he was, oh, I'm going to get the Riddler, and he was wrong, and Riddler gets away, and you get kind of like a Silence of the Lambs moment, where the Riddler gets in contact with Batman one last time, and it's like... You've missed your chance, Batman. I'm away now. And disappears off into the crowd. And he could have been anyone. So he becomes yeah. the anyone that's always out there. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. But I think there was another thing that he didn't really have a connection to Batman. Yeah, I think he, he, he was always things were addressed to Batman. But the way I, the way I can rationalize that is just he knows that the only person he sees Batman is the only person kind of his equal. So he's like, okay, my ego is only going to make me oh, allow me to talk to the smartest and strongest, and that's you. Mm. Like, forget the cops. Like, I know you're going to be there, so I'm going to talk directly to you. Which does kind of tie into Riddler because he is very much kind of like, hey, you and I are the smartest people in the room. I'm smarter than you, by the way, just for the record, Batman. But we yeah. are the smartest people in the room. Let's have a conversation and ignore all these yeah. plebeians around us. Yeah, and that is, and that is, I think, despite the fact that they've gone for clearly a more serial killer based Riddler. That is a still that is what I still think is at the kind of the center of them. There's still that kind of superiority complex. Although one thing that I did see for the Riddler was I did find kind of funny in a weird way was a because the Riddler is clearly autistic. People are saying like this is Black Panther for autistic people. I'm like, okay, bro, you want that? <laughs> Do you want to admit that you're like you're like the Black Panther film which empowered? Uh, Black cinema goes up and down the globe. You want to admit that the Riddler did that for autistic people? You know, he's the bad guy, right? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's the guy that you're not meant to like. He's the guy that gets stopped by Batman. It's not a great image, I'll be honest. I will say the, yeah. uh, I, I don't know what it is, but I fucking hated the uh, the scene of like them in the, in the Coliseum at the end. Is it's like the kind of big kind of takeover scene. Just that guy raising that gun to shoot Batman, and him taking five fucking minutes yeah. to raise that gun. Pissed me off so much. <laughs> the bit that confused me was when Batman takes the, the giant batarang off of his chest and flies over and swings over to the big transformer and mm-hmm. then cuts the cable. I was like, okay, what, what the fuck are you doing? Are you going to cut the cable down and kill them? Like, It never really became apparent to me that he was going to cut the cable and discharge that. It looked to me like he was going to cut the big transformer thing down. Yeah, maybe just. I mean, has Barry's done a lot of action stuff? Uh, yeah, he's he did the, the Planet of the Apes uh, sequels, the really really good ones. All right, he did the uh, the Cloverfield films as well. I think. Yeah, they're not my favorite films, so I wouldn't really be like, hey, don't uh, worry, Clover- this guy's got it. He made Cloverfield. <laughs> my brother sons were a mess. But the um, okay, just I was watching that scene and I'm like, I know where this is going. Like, I know. Someone's going to come in and save Batman, and it's either going to be a kid he talked to five minutes ago, or it's going to be Catwoman. And surprise, surprise, it's fucking Catwoman. But yeah, I just, I just watching that scene, I was like, I just, I hate this. I know exactly where it's going. We don't need to do this. We, <laughs> or you can have it happen in real time, and that would be great. 
I'd love to see that happen, not with the, like the slow mo walk up and the kind of gradually pulling the shotgun up and lining it up with Batman's head just right before all of a sudden it's miraculously stopped by fucking Catwoman, which we all yeah. saw coming from a mile away. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Oh, the one point, the one part that I did like in it, and it makes me think that they might be bringing Bane in it at some point, is when he's been, I think he's been shot twice in the chest by a pretty high-powered rifle. Yeah. And he roots around in his utility belt and he digs out the adrenaline. I think, well, obviously it looks like adrenaline. I think it might be Venom and he just digs it in his leg and he beats the living shit out of the guy. <laughs> and it takes, <laughs> uh, takes Lieutenant Gordon to just kind of go, dude, stop it, man, there's people watching. And he just kind of snaps out of it like, sorry, uh, don't know what happened. I kind of lost my shit there. Oh, whoops. <laughs> this has never happened before. Sorry, Commissioner. I mean, no, sorry, you're not Commissioner yet. Sorry, uh, Captain Gordon. <laughs> but yeah, Batman, yeah, good. Yeah, Batman, fucking phenomenal film. Casting was really good. Uh, John Farrell, no, Colin Farrell, as uh, the Penguin, you barely would even know that it's him in the film. I've, I've um, been told that five times. I've forgotten it each time. Because <laughs> yeah, he's so fucking good. The Penguin, like the scenes that he's in, he genuinely steals the show. The Penguin was fucking fantastic. Robert Pattinson, in a kind of like, fuck you haters type of moment, it's just it's really, really good Batman. He, he gets a little bit of Bruce Wayne that he shows is really good. The, the lot of Batman that he shows is fucking phenomenal. Andy Serkis is a good, a good Alfred. Uh even the sort of the smaller characters that don't appear a lot, like uh, John Turturro as uh, Carmine Falcone, mm-hmm. fucking brilliant. So, very I mean, menacing, no very secret. sleazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, and the fact that they're bringing in the part of the Long Halloween where it's hinted that he's Catwoman's uh, father—that's a great way to actually tie her more into the story. Yeah, but oh. again, it was no secret that I was going to like this film. I'm incredibly, incredibly biased. I would say, uh, old lady who picks up the phone, nailed it. Yeah, across the board, nailed it. The don't, only don't... person that didn't nail it was that guy that keeps uh, getting on at Batman for being in crime scenes. Like, dude, he's he's there. Just give it a break. <laughs> the third time now. Why are you surprised? Come on. What... At, at this point, you're a dick. Right? <laughs> they carved... If you keep bringing for... it up as a problem, you're the asshole. They carved for the Batman into the guy's forehead. I think the Batman should be here. <laughs> the big signal that we made. You were there. Your cousin helped us install it. <laughs> you said you he knew a guy. The big bulb. <laughs> We used your Amazon account to get the boat cars. <laughs> so, in the interest of balancing out the episode a little bit, because it's been very movie-heavy so far, we're wrapping up uh, towards the end of the episode, but I want to say, I got the chance to go and see a band live, which is rare um, after the last couple of years of absolute shite and lockdown. And I got the chance to go and see Ghost. Uh, and i got to say, it's a hell of an experience. Uh, I was going right in the deep end of Ghost uh, after my brother decided he was buying tickets for the entire family. Um, or for like the brothers and all that so he um, said he was going to buy the tickets and that we all better get started listening to Ghost because it's a great band according to him uh, pair this with somebody at my work becoming a, or being a massive Ghost fan and insisting I also listen to it um, I decided to just go all in and listen to the new album on repeat for like days on end and then some of the back catalogue as well um, big shout out to people by the way I never ex- or never really appreciated uh, the people who posted the set list of a band uh, before now, but actually getting mm-hmm. to like build a playlist of what was going to be played anyway, and getting used to the songs and kind of getting used to what to expect was a big help in actually enjoying my first concert in like three years. I don't know if you do the set list thing or if you just you pick bands that you know back to front. Uh, I kind of do a bit of both actually. Uh, I I do. 
I do some of the settler stuff like with Ghost. I only really have listened to one of their records, and it's the one that has Square Hammer on it. Yeah, um, it's a good one. Uh, I'd say the new oh, album, but uh, Square Hammer. Uh, <laughs> get me shouted by Square Hammer. They played that live, um, but the new album uh, is just fantastic. <laughs> um, it's Kaiserian, Ky- yeah, I think that's the right album. Um, but it's just a really good album from start to finish, and getting to see it live was really special. Um, the, the like I wasn't sure what to expect because I'd heard that it's like very theatrical. Okay, let's see what this is. Um, theatrical is an understatement. This is a fucking production. Uh, we got to see there's two bands that were on. Uh, the one I went to see was called Twin Temple. Um, that was uh, we missed that because we were, we saw the line outside to get in and we're like it's too big. We're gonna just we'll go to nearby pub have a pint. We'll join. and then we. I go see record is Impera by the way. Impera, but we saw, uh, we got to see like the final like saxophone solo from that band, which was interesting. Um, I remember the way one of our key like memories is just like hanging out is going to see Arch Enemy and there being a band with a saxophone. I can yeah. kind of get where saxophones belong in rock concerts now. Maybe not at like a thrash metal concert, but at like a rock concert, kind of works if it's set up right. Uh, but, I mean, I'm not a fan because I've seen two bands. In fact, I've seen that one band. The sax, the lead singer with the saxophone, twice, uh, once with Arch Enemy and once when I went to see Amon Amarth and Evan Townsend. What are they doing there? <laughs> and I was just like, dude, why are you here? You're not a good band. <laughs> but um, again, there must there must be some guy who's like, yeah, saxophone metal. Well, there's something about the way that Ghost have their stuff set up that it works with the Ghost, and they do actually have a they had a saxophone solo in the middle of their performance as well. And it was actually pretty good. But uh, barely get to see any of Twin Temple, which is a shame because I listened to a few of their tracks. It's very kind of um, old, like, 30s, 40s swing music, but satanic is all hell. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, just, it's a nice, very kind of... It's a weird blend of, like, what you typically associate as being very kind of clean, traditional, uh, innuendo-laced music with just outright saying, I'm a witch and I get paid... Uh, but I get my period and my pay on the same day, the first of the month. And you're like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Did not expect that as a lyric uh, over the smooth jazz solo. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it's an interesting band. Sadly, to miss all of it, but got a pint out of it, so mm, fair yeah. trade. And then we watched Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. Uh, I don't like that band. <laughs> You don't like them. Yeah, I, I didn't, like, maybe they're better on album, but as far as the live performances, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, also, you've beaten the Hydro before, right? The, the O2 Hydro. Oh, yeah, no, it's no, called no, something else hydro. different. Uh, the SSC, it the was the SSC hydro, hydro. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, they've got the big floodlights that they have there. And for some reason, this band was just intent on just, like, flashbanging the audience with these strobe lights every yeah. now and again. I was like, this fucking pissed me off. And it got to the point where I could recognise where, like, it was going to happen based on, because it would always happen on certain chords and certain songs. But yeah, I would just be in the in the crowd, listening to music, and I'd recognise when a, a, a flashbang was coming. I'd just close my eyes, open them back up again, and I'd be okay, there it is. You'd feel the kind of light coming through your eyelids, just as they give you the full blast of these stadium lights that are designed to kind of illuminate, you know, kind of like a massive car park. Um, but they point it at, like, your face. Um, so yeah, wasn't that yeah. impressed by them? Um, maybe I'll check him out on audio, like just on see. Didn't have a clue yeah, what was I mean, going on. I've listened to uh, like Uncle Ass and the Deadbeats a couple of times. It was one of those bands that uh, 
most of my the, the foundation for my listening to metal music is largely thanks to my oldest brother who just had so much metal music when i was younger that i would just listen to listen to it again and again like picking random cds and one of them was a uh, class in the deadbeats like they had a record it's quite an old one hold on i get the i say old record that came out in 2010 it was just called, no, sorry, 2011 called Bloodlust. Right. And I'd just kind of fresh out of, like, not long out of high school at that point, just a couple of years. And uh, brother still left a whole of this stuff. I was like, okay, what the fuck's this thing popped in? I was like, okay, it's kind of Rob Zombie kick, a bit more melodic, a bit softer. But still, I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And as someone who loves all that kind of, this is why I think, it, the reason why I think I like ghosts so much is because I love that kind of Halloween type of metal. It's all just like, horror themed like what Rob Zombie does what Misfits do that's what uh, Uncle Ast and the Deadbeats did like, okay I can get in this I dig this mm. maybe just I, maybe I don't know the lyrics maybe I don't know the songs maybe if, it, if I'd known that it might be a bit more like because everything I'm hearing is for the first time and it just kind of hits the ear wrong like live music for the first time is all because I'm not good with yeah. lyrics I'm really bad with lyrics but um, yeah you just yeah. Hear, hear stuff that kind of bounces off the ear wrong but uh, yeah then Ghost come to the stage and it's like a big break between um uh, <laughs> Like Uncle Aston Deadbeats and then Ghost, or it feels like a big break because, like, you know what's coming. And me and my brother are getting kind of hyped up and just kind of hyping each other up a little bit. And, um, whole th- as the like S- Hydro begins to kind of fill in because everybody's kind of skipped the opening acts because Ghost is like an hour and a half show by itself. Um, but it's because they've built an entire set and brought it on stage and then bolted it all down so that they can perform on it. So that's why the setup takes forever is because they're building. Like a small city at one point, and uh, yeah, just one of the best shows I've ever seen live. Um, we're talking about like we're talking about concerts coming up in the new year or in the later part of this year, and yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, I like that person, that person, good front person, or that's you know, they're good on stage, good stage presence. None of it comes close to Papa for Ghost. It is unreal. This is honestly like watching a theater performance. But like themed around this weird rock opera of just like satanic worship and like inside jokes and blasphemy. It's just fucking amazing. Um but the whole band has like a really good stage presence and charisma. Um I I didn't know if they're for first of all, charisma for people wearing like full full leather face masks is pretty impressive. Um mm. but as well, I didn't know the band were gonna be fucking each other on stage. So all I saw was the guitarists or one of the ghouls stepping up to the front of the stage, kind of hogging the limelight a bit, and then Papa coming in and kind of, like, scolding him, and, like, off mic, kind of seeming like he's yelling at him and pointing and gesturing and stuff, and I'm like, is that real? Is that, like, a bit? Or did he just fuck up? <laughs> Are we about to see, like, a massive breakup on stage or whatever? Like, what, what's the deal? Um, but no, like, you figure it pretty quickly. No, like, the, go- like the, the ghouls are all, like, flipping each other off and, uh, like, doing dumb shit with each other, and it's just kind of like, oh, this is, this is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of stuff going on on stage that, like, it's going to be unique to each show, so we're kind of saying, oh, this is how a ghost show always goes, it's going to be, like, total bullshit. But, um, the interactions with the crowd are really good. Um, like, you can tell uh, Tobias Forger's papa is just, like, uh, he's very good at stagecraft, in a way that not a lot of people are, where it's not about, like, stopping and talking to, like, stopping, like, after a song to, um, like, talk to the audience. It's about yeah. checking in with the audience, like like one sentence things back and forwards between each uh, thing to keep everybody engaged. 
even though like the entire audience is totally enraptured with the performance. Uh, and it's really good, and it's like, there's a little bits where uh, there's like costume changes and stuff going on. So, for example, like they have the full wardrobe there for uh, this album. So obviously, they change the style and the look of the band for each album. But what will happen is that two band members will stay out to do a bit, or to do like the interludes, or to play stuff live, or just at one point it's like a, a guitar battle between two the lead guitarists uh, for the ghouls, and they're just like taking the piss, like mocking each other, and uh, just remember that bit in Dragon Force with the Fire and the Flames where they just try to outdo each other, it's like that on stage, you know, that's yeah. cool. Uh, and obviously the winner is the one who plays the most Scottish song. I'm not joking, I, the audience has been pretty good and generous to the band. The crowd went ballistic. The second, uh, oh, what's it? You'll know the song. That, the the beat for uh, Here Comes the Highland Guy, Too Big Tits and Harry Fanny. But Flower Scotland. Flower Scotland. <laughs> Why did I only know that version? Why did I never know the name Flower Scotland? I just know the, the, the dumb schoolboy version. Yeah, I mean, then again, Flower of Scotland is a fucking dirge of a song, man. Why do we have the one of the most depressing songs as our national anthem? Don't get me wrong, when it comes to rugby games, I will belt it out with pride, but... Especially with the English game. Yeah, against England, I will make myself hoarse. <laughs> I will wreck my vocal cords to make sure that the opposition hear me. But yeah, not a good song. But, the, like, when they play that, the crowd goes ballistic. <laughs> <laughs> like that is absolutely pandering to the audience. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, what give, I'm here for. Give me what I want. That's <laughs> um, I think that might be the good, best way to describe it. Is if you say that Ghost is a ridiculous rock opera experience of a concert, you get exactly what you want from it. Seeing the playlist published online, I knew that they were going to play their cover of Metallica Enter Sandman. Very good cover. Um, the audio version that's on YouTube, like the album version, is a lot softer. The one they do live is a bit more kind of um, upbeat, or it's a bit louder, it's a bit heavier as well. And that's because it's the part of the encore. Uh, their encore was um, Enter Sandman, Square Hammer, and then their biggest song, Dance Macabre. And it is nice. an absolute fucking banger. <laughs> like, it's a great song, it's my favourite, but seeing it live, it's like, it just, the, the whole thing just becomes a whole party. There's like uh, air cannons just firing confetti out. The stage turn, stage lights turn to just like a rainbow of colours. And it just becomes this giant dance hall. And you're like, what a way to end the show. Just, hey, we've had this weird satanic ghost joke thing going on for the whole time. Let's just have a fucking party. And it's an absolute blast. But yeah, I also didn't know, uh, I, I for some reason thought that pyrotechnics were banned in Scotland. Apparently the Hydro can do them. Mm. I didn't know this. <laughs> I was amazed when, uh, during year one, they start firing off massive pyrotechnic blasts behind the band. And you know how we're talking about Batman, where we're talking about like, the, the flames illuminating behind them? Imagine yeah. that, but for a stage show. Being awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Dude, that, that's twice I've missed fucking Ghost now. Uh, the first time was when uh, uh, one of the guys in my Pathfinder group who went to, who's been to every Ghost gig that's came to Scotland, in Glasgow, uh, he said to me, he asked me, do you want to go? I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go see Ghost. Like, so I was just like, getting into Ghost. Uh, I think I had Square Hammer on repeat. Uh, and he said, ah, let me know if there's uh, tickets. And then he texts me the the hour before he was uh, meant to go on the train. He said, did you get Ghost tickets? And I went, oh no, I'll just go and grab them. And he went, oh, it's a bit late, it's sold out. I just went, I thought you were going to tell me ahead of time to get tickets. And he went, yeah, I'm telling you, ahead of time. <laughs> well, now I had the concert. 
then the the second gig, I just totally forgot about it. And then it was only when you told me it was like, oh, dude, I'm going to see Ghost in Hell. I was like, fuck, I knew I was meant to do something. <laughs> then again, the person that the guy from my Pathfinder group got COVID from that gig. So hmm. in a way, I I'm not I'm not happy the fact that I missed it. But I am kind of happy the fact that I missed it. Because you know you'd be standing, him yeah, and I would have got COVID. So yeah, I um well. Here's the thing, uh, you're not going to miss them the third time if I have to drag you there myself. <laughs> okay. I will be going. Even, and I will be buying merch, even if it costs me 35 quid a fucking t-shirt. Yeah, I saw that ticket price. I saw that price. I'm like, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, oh, dude, grab me a tour t-shirt. And I was like, you don't want me to grab me a tour t-shirt. <laughs> Bro, we ain't got the money for that shit. <laughs> that is young people money. That is living home with your parents' money. We have, um, yeah, I, I, like, you're not going to miss the next one. And that's the, the key thing I want to point out. Most people I know, have seen or the ghost fans i know have been to it multiple times and um your friend will say the same thing it is just it, it's amazing to be there like i've been to a number of concerts and i describe them as religious experiences for me yeah and this is the first one that was doing it on purpose but even then it was phenomenal it's so good at what it is and it is a big like fake reverend priestly kind of show and then just all the jokes you can think of, all the kind of like wink wink, there's no just like fake Catholicism stuff you can throw in there as well. And then just yeah. a hell of a, like a hell of a show. Like the quality of the music itself. We talk about like saxophone solos there. There's a whole bit where they bring out the first Papa, uh, Papa Zero, and they revitalize him to play one saxophone solo and then he disappears. It's like a five minute bit, but it's done in the middle of a rock concert and it's amazing. <laughs> he even does the, uh, remember like Rick James, where he's doing the thing where he's doing yeah. like the solo and then like, as he gets towards the end, he's kind of staggering and falling, but he picks himself back up just to finish it for the fans. You do that. Yeah. <laughs> With a reanimated corpse playing the saxophone. You're like, this is nuts. This is absolutely insane. I fucking love every second of it. So, yeah, um, if you're listening, stop, stop yeah. listening to podcasts. Go book tickets. Yeah, go book tickets now. And I will say that it goes to the kind of band because they, they do wear the masks and stuff like that. People do wear face paint. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and that's a good thing. Get involved in the in the band. Like if if you go and slip not and you were to put on the overalls and the mask, fucking do that. But at the same time, it's something that I got on my friend for because he did this. Don't call people who are not doing that fake fans. They're yeah. still fans. But they, they just don't want to paint their faces. They just that's don't want it. to take off oil paint for work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, they just don't want to. Sh- they don't want to have to shave their beard down to the wood so they can put uh, grease paint all over the face. It doesn't mean any less. It doesn't make you a better fan. It makes you a shitty person. Yeah. It doesn't make you a bigger fan, and it doesn't make them any less of a fan because they don't want to paint your face. Don't be a gatekeeper. We actually saw a few people with a face paint. Me and my brother pointed out, "There's a person up there. There's a person there." And I would turn and look, and there's a guy in a full like cardinal's outfit <laughs> yeah. with a ghost face paint up in the balcony. I'm like, "Demon, <laughs> look at that!" Well, oh my god! I, up I in seen, the co- I've seen people who were wearing full suits. Three-piece suits to go to a metal gig, dude. You're gonna be sweating. You're gonna pass out if you go into the pit with a three-piece suit on. You're just gonna collapse. Well, actually, the thing about Ghost is it can be enjoyed as a passive experience. There's seats there, yeah. and I honestly think you'd get just as much value of just watch, like just sitting down watching the show, because it is such a show. Yeah. You get something out of it. You don't need to be in the pit. No, I was just, I just in my mind, in my mind, I've never been to a gig that I didn't immediately want to jump into. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know if it was COVID. Like I don't know if it was COVID, but there wasn't a pit. Um, or maybe, yeah, it's, maybe it's just not that type of show. 
can't really throw elbows to uh, seriously. <laughs> it's just not that type of song. Yeah. But, Although, uh, if I go to another heavy metal gig and someone starts doing that hardcore pitting, I have, I'm well within my legal rights to just flat them out. Oh, yeah. That, that's... Like, I remember when we went to see uh, Arch Enemy, there was one guy like swinging his fists and stuff like that. Like, doing the kind of the windmill like with the clenched fists. I was like, dude, you're going to hurt someone. And it's, it's not cool. Although I will say, like when I was talking about, um, like fest, like uh, live shows being like, religious experiences, yeah. I gotta say, after a year of lockdown, or after like two and a half years of lockdown, reconnecting with that community again felt so good. Like, I, I just I would go see something live if you can. Yeah, and that was definitely my thing because uh, I, as you know, I'm a huge fan of the Wayne's World films, and uh, there was just something about watching them going to see, I think in the first one they go and see Alice Cooper, and the second one they go and see Aerosmith. Mm. I was like, man, I want to go to a fucking gig. Then they go to a heavy metal bar, and I'm like, I miss that weird, funky-smelling bar that all gigs are held in, and it just made me want to go. Then my brother, following week, went to go and see Less Than Jake, and he asked me if I wanted to go, and I was like, nah, I'll, I'll give it a miss. I'm not really sure on gigs right now. Gordon came back and was like, dude, it was such a good gig. I'm like, fuck, I should have went. So the next gig that comes up that I realistically want to go to it. I'm just buying tickets outright. Even if I was like, hey, I'm going to see this. I've got a spare ticket. <laughs> Hell yes. Yeah. Hey, dude, give me it. I'll take it with both hands. Yeah, because I mean, I've I've missed two concerts this year already. Uh, just earlier in March, I was supposed to see uh, Tarja Turnham, uh, Lee Singer of Nightwish. Uh, she's now rescheduled into 2023. Uh, this was the first concert I'd booked in for the start of 2021. <laughs> so I've missed, or no, 2020 actually. I've missed this show three times due to COVID. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to see that live, but at the same time, like that's how long this knock-on effect's been going, and you really don't understand how much you've missed it until you go back into that yeah. community, and you're like, oh, that's, this is what it feels like. And even uh, Bloody yeah. Wood, like, I totally get their decision. Like They were only two weeks before um, Ghost, so technically it might have been able to do it, but there's you know, COVID spikes in the UK, they're coming all the way from India to perform the show, there's no guarantee yeah. they can get between mainland UK and Europe. You know, it doesn't quite work out. I, I get why they pushed back, but I'm glad they've rescheduled it for next year. Like, I, I can't wait to see them because I've somehow not been there yet. Uh, the, the cat house is a sweatbox, man. Yeah. It is a tiny, tiny venue. The, the stage is so fucking small, right? Like, think of the size of your living room. Right, and, uh, half like the size of your living room. If you cut it in half, that's the size of the stage. It's not a massive stage. Uh, Smallest venue you've been to is the garage. The garage is a uh, the garage is quite decent. the The pit area is not huge, but it's still quite big. But there's uh, balconies and stuff like that, which are alright. The garage was just the garage was just weird for me. I I didn't have that great a time. I, I went, I went to... to see. I went to go see Devin Townsend there as well. One of the gigs I've been, to, one of the bands I've seen so many fucking times live is Devin Townsend. Yeah. Just because he always puts in a good show and the tickets were usually cheap. Now they're about 30 to 40 quid. Well, that's I think like, that's another thing that's just going to happen. Yeah. Just higher ticket price. They gig it out the artist. But that's, who I went to see, yeah. that's where I went to see Devil Driver. Oh. Yeah. It's a weird gig. <laughs> it's like the entire, pit, the entire floor is just one big fight. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's like at the car house. The car house is a small corridor with a bar in the middle and the stage at the other end it's a very very small very uh, what's the what's the word intimate gig <laughs> yeah you're, you're standing there and all of a sudden the band are there and you're like hey just high five <laughs> i 
I mean, it, it was at the time where I did cause a bit of confusion. Uh, I think I went to see In Flames there once. Right. And when I was a lot skinnier, my hair was longer, I looked kind of like the lead singer for In Flames, Anders Frieden. <laughs> and it, I, there were people just double-taking me, and at one point the basis for the support band came out and just went, why are you here? <laughs> went in line. What is he and he just kind of looked at me funny and went, holy shit, I need to show him. <laughs> so he, he took a photo of me and took it backstage. And I remember they went up on stage and just they just kind of went. They started doing this spiel to the audience and went, "Oh, by the way, and the guy that looks here, you get the guy that looks like me, you're getting a free T-shirt." I'm like, fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go see a live concert. Go see something good, yeah. preferably, but go see a live concert or not. Go see a shit concert and have a good story. <laughs> Guys, the band came out. They fell over one after the other after the other, then on top of each other. So stupid. Haven't seen anything like oh. that before. Or go see a really shit gig, get drunk and make it a fucking fantastic. <laughs> for for yourself, everyone else is going to hate you. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be that guy that people are going to point to and say, security, get rid of him. <laughs> like most people crowd surf to get away or to go and get a drink or because they're too hot or something like that and they need to pass over. You're going to be the guy that's going to be forcibly crowd surfed over the top to get rid of. Yeah, the crowd ejected their own guy. Like, <laughs> normally they wait for security, they just kind of marched him out there. It's weird. Yeah, I've been I've been a few gigs where that happened. Uh, the first time I ever went to see In Flames at the Barrowlands, uh, somebody kicked me in the eye. Huh. Uh, like, like while being crowd surfed over? No, not while being crowd surfed over. This guy was doing some like capoeira, like, uh, hardcore pitting, <laughs> and he swung his leg and kicked me in the eye. And next thing you know, there was this guy, uh, probably about your height. Like, run about that kind of six one, six foot uh, uh, build, but you know, much bigger. Like we're talking, like this guy was a this guy was a whole ass man, right? It just literally picked him up by the waist and just crowd surfed him over the top. Right up and just went, "You're right, me man. I can't fucking see it in my right eye, and I don't know where my glasses are." He just handed me my glasses and just pushed me to the front of the gig. He was like, "Make sure the wee man doesn't get hit again." And Grant and Lindsay were just like, "What's wrong with you?" I was like, I can't open my right eye because someone just booted me in it and this guy's like got my back. <laughs> I just like you're be like, hey, you know what really mixes with a Gothenburg sound? Brazilian street dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was at that point where I kind of realised that like, when you go to, you're talking about being in that community, that heavy metal community, it is like a proper community. Yeah. Like, we will go in there and we will mosh, we will fucking smash into each other, we will like, make each other bruised and battered, we'll make our necks hurt, but at the same time we take it too far. Like, we'll help you up. Like, we're going to knock you to the ground. You're going to knock me to the ground, but I'm going to help you back up to your feet. If I knock a pint out of your hand, guarantee when there's a break, I'm going to go and get you another pint. And that's one of the thousand reasons why I fucking love the heavy metal community. People always look at us and think, oh, you're just a bunch of like, filthy monsters. But no, we are good, honest to God, salt of the earth people. Yeah. If you get the Some chance. Some of us to... even have jobs in respectable places. Some of us don't. <laughs> if you're ever, Some of us in... don't even have jobs and they're still looking because uni only finished a month ago and they've not found anything. If you're ever get the chance, be outside a metal concert when it ends. There is not a safer place on the planet. It is filled with the happiest people. All of the evil is gone from their bodies. If it, as long as nobody fucking died during the concert, it is the nicest group of people you've ever seen in your entire life. It is fucking they're amazing. really really nice, lovely, sweaty people. <laughs> We're covered in tattoos, piercings, <laughs> leather jackets with spikes on them. But honestly, 
we'll help your baby cross the road if you want to. We'll carry the baby to the bus stop for you. <laughs> we're just happy to help because we're just happy. We've got an all yeah, of our systems. Just, just happy people have got the anger out of our system by slamming our backs against each other for two hours to our favourite metal songs. We're just good, honest people. Like, that's why not many metalheads go to therapy. Because we just, if there's good gigs, that's how we get the aggression. Well, with that in mind, I think we'll time to wrap up the elevator pitch. Um, do you have one, Dom, or is it just me? It's just you, I don't get one. I, I genuinely keep forgetting that we do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, good news is the the, uh, the channel, I, or the podcast I stole this from, uh, has also come to the conclusion that if you just don't have one, you just don't have one. So, uh, let it be, I guess. Um, yep. So, I'd like to introduce you to the uh, YouTube channel, Teleporte. Um I'll send you links and stuff. I'll put it in the show notes as well for anyone listening. Uh, we, it's a YouTube you animation. Teleporte. Yes. It's a YouTube animation channel making uh, I know where short going. videos. <laughs> Most of them are about three to ten seconds long, some are a little longer. Some are quite introspective, some are very uh, just kind of thematically based on just interesting animation concepts. Uh, some of it's comedy and a lot of it is lewd, and I fucking love it. Um, definitely have headphones on with the channel. Some of the. Uh, yeah, you content... broke up again there. Hmm? What was I? Should have said that my internet gets shitty. <laughs> Dom's net has been longer. absolutely just shagged today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is probably the most I've used it, and it tends to get a little shitty around about this time of night. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd say definite headphone warnings for this channel. Uh, some The voice acting is all fantastic, but they are going for a certain type of uh, naughty energy. Just If your parents walk in, you're going to have some explaining to do, but here are some <laughs> links. Uh, <laughs> Uh, probably to my favourite video of the lot so far. Uh, but yeah, Teleporty, fantastic YouTube. And with that... I'll I've... have one next week, I swear. <laughs> uh, and with that, uh, we'll end the show. I've been Colin Graham. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking gibberfish. <laughs>